Hello and welcome to Joe Talks Comics. The normally the podcast where I talk with friends about the comics that we've been really enjoying lately. But we're recording this, wrapping up the year. But if you're listening to this, it'll be the, the start of the new year. So on this episode, we're talking about the best movies of the year. And then next week, if you're listening to these, they come out. We'll conclude our wrap up talking about the best shows of 2023. And make sure to check out our best comics of 2023 and the the Talkies Awards episodes if you haven't already. But it's good to have my Tilly back. It's been about a week for us from recording real life time. So yeah, welcome back. Yeah, I'm stoked to be back. This uh, this is always a fun one to go over. I know last year we I don't remember that it being as chaotic as the mm. comics episode last year, but uh, it's just a nice little bit of a change of pace because at the time I hadn't been talking to people about movies and shows much except for like in store. So if it wasn't one of the shows that people were watching because it's on Disney plus and it's Marvel related or something, most of the shows and like movies I see were getting kind of just like flown under the radar until we had that conversation. So it was fun to take on the task of actually ranking this year's movies and seeing exactly how many new movies I got to see that came out this year. Yeah. It's fun because like this year I, I, so properly got into my letterbox, like a, if you don't know, like a fun movie like ranking and rating app for like using the diary feature and creating like a proper ranking list and everything. Because at the start of the year, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I, I want to do that this year after seeing people do it. I was like, I start fresh. And now at the end of the year, it's it all pays off in the end because I can actually have a, a very convenient ranking to, to work through. But I think that brings us to our uh, movies of the year, my friend. Yes. So the way that we'll do it is we've both got around like 30 movies to that we've ranked. I know on the Letterbox profile, might have got a bit more, and I, I might have a couple more that will trickle in towards the end of the year in this final week. But we'll focus on that other 30. Like I'll do my bottom 10, and then you do your bottom 10, and then we'll go from there, obviously talking a bit more about the movies as we get closer and closer to the, the top. But at number 30, I had The Flash from DC because it, ha- it had some fun moments. It had some awful moments as well. And there was, it, it could have been like a solid three-star movie, but like there was like just a moment towards the end, which is revolting. It was like, you know, that's, that's like, that's like a whole star down on its own. Like, that's the thing, like... It's like ethically revolting, but it also just looked ugly as well. That's the thing. It wasn't like, oh, this is like ethically horrifying, but it looks nice. It just, it, it looked ugly. Like just like no, just unleashing that like all my negativity on that one to film. Take away any ounce of what was left oh. over in excitement to watch that movie. So I watched the last like fifteen minutes, which includes that scene to the end of the movie, to right as the credits drop, and I was like. I will never watch this. Maybe there's a day where there's a new flash on the big screen and it's time to compare the two. And I'll go back 15 years from now and I will watch the Flash movie. But I I would sit through Aquaman and Aquaman 2, which is saying something, before I ever watch the Flash. Which is always, like, funny. I mean, yeah. I suppose, like, similar to the... To like some of the Disney Plus shows, it's like I I I enjoyed Aquaman. I I, I think it's a bit clunky, but 
I just I had fun with it. I think anyway. James Wan should stick with horror. Better, but but yeah, I mean, like it's like what I said about being like curious to watch Rebel Moon earlier, especially because it's on Netflix. It's like I just that there was so much discourse about it. I just I had to I I, I just yeah I gave in and had to I had to see what it was like and I get it. Oof, oof. I well, felt like I had like, to see mm-hmm. it running the comic mm-hmm. page. Like part of me was like ethically inclined because I was working in a comic shop and running a comic page that I had to watch this movie and tell people how I felt about it. And I decided, no, that's not a thing that exists. There's no moral obligation there. <laughs> well, it's like, I know I said I wouldn't say too much about these bottom 10 movies, but like, I feel like, and immediately coming, I can't say a lot about The Flash, but it is just such a, what's the word, like the divisive and um, prominent movie, like not in, in like not in a good way at all. And and it's, and it's like also funny because it's like I know, I know people have all sorts of criticisms of Flashpoint and adapting Flashpoint. It's also funny where it's like actually like for better or worse, like I've 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 seen the TV show. It's like do I need to see this? It's like that's not giving me anything. New. And it, that, that might seem like a stupid complaint when we've seen like three different Spider Man and who knows how many Batman. But like even still, um anyway. And number twenty nine, I had next goal wins. I was in, intrigued. By this because of like Michael Fassbender and Taika Waititi and it was it was all right it was a, a fun movie about a, again like some an Ether Box review called it like a dime store Ted Lasso um which I was like oh that's yeah that that, that that sounds about right um about like trying to turn a a football an American summer football team around the soccer soccer, football, whatever. And yeah, it, it was fun, but nothing amazing. And number 28, Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Again, this was one where I I was skeptical because like the trailers, from the trailers, the story didn't look particularly interesting and that, that was right. But I was just excited and glad to see the characters again. So I, I had fun with it. The story wasn't anything particularly special, but it was just, it's fun. And I was more in it for the, the, the characters at this point and I enjoyed it. And number 27, A Haunting in Venice. Just, this was the first of the the, the Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot movies that I've seen. They made a few of uh, Haunting in Venice and Murder on the Orient. No, a Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile, which I want to see at some point. Kenneth Branagh. But yeah, it was a fun, like, spooky read. Read, spooky watch for the horror. The spooky season I, I enjoyed as well. it's sort of something that I discovered with especially with like Knives Out and Glass Onions. I just love these like mysteries and, and things, so to watch more of them. At twenty six, Dungeons and Dragons. This was a a fun movie with like Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez, Justice Smith, Sophia Delescu, Grant, Regis and Page, and just a lot a lot of cool people. It wasn't anything like extraordinary but i had a lot of fun with it i mean it's like satisfied what it had to for like a dnd inspired like fantasy movie but if they made another one I, I would go and see it i had a lot of fun with it if, if you can get it like on a streaming service it's the sort of movie that's like perfect for that sort of thing where you don't have to pay anything towards it but you can have a lot of fun with it 25 knock at the cabin by m night i never know how to say his last name so Shyamalan. but yeah, that's it. Thank you. Like Dave Batista and Rupert Grin and I forgot Grin Aldridge, Jonathan Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it was. It 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 was. A, I mean, 
everyone's meant to say it was fun, but right, yeah, it, it was entertaining. I think that's the word I'm looking for. And the sort of like horror tropes that it sort of had, it was the sort of thing where it's it, it was predictable in a sense, but not necessarily in the way you'd expect, especially if you're sort of familiar with M Night Stick. And I hope that doesn't give too much away, but. It's yeah that 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 was an interesting one. I, I felt like it was very nicely made, like lots of deliberate shots and sort of building up the tension and the claustrophobia and in this cabin and how it's so like intimate and personal yet sort of tries to go for like the the, the grand and tragic scale and the mix between the two. And I think it's it, it's all like lower down by this, but it's maybe maybe that definitely sort of like stuck in my head. Something that it's like unique i agree we have a very similar place on our list so i'll talk about it yeah. in a little bit but i, I agree yeah and number 24 i have red right red white and royal blue is <laughs> one where the son of the, the u.s president and the a prince they, they have like an altercation at this like royal event and it's like oh they need to become friends because of u.s uk relations and oh they they end up falling in love and I read the book and I enjoyed it, so it was one of those where, like, just briefly mentioning it in this episode, it was enough to motivate me to, to, to finally, like, check it out. And it was fun. It was one of the ones where, like, it was exactly what I expected. It was charming. It was cheesy. It was it was good. Um, so I took that. If you just want, like, a, a, a cheesy gay, like, romance movie, then I think it's worth checking out, especially since, again, it's one of those ones where it's, like, it's on Prime, so if you have Prime, then just yeah fun because i was 23 chicken run dawn of the nugget this is one <sighs> i literally watched this morning yeah I was because what you're watching this morning have you seen the original though yes okay because cool. it the, the original was on the original was on tv earlier in the year nice. and so, uh, i grew up on the original we, we just like yeah we just like because i'd never seen it so it was cool to watch it and then when i was like picking out because we had we were recording this like a week or so later than we were originally thinking. I was like, "Yeah, I have time to watch this. So I'll check it out." And I thought I it was a lot of fun. I thought it was out on Christmas. Yeah, I like I like how it sort of expands on the like the scale of the original. I always think like if you're gonna do a sequel, it's nice when you just do go like bigger and better. And the trailer looked exactly like it was doing what it needed to to be a revival yeah. movie. This later on to really make a different statement um, years later and and make it more timely so i'm excited that you have that on there i, I didn't realize that's what you were watching this morning yeah because uh, i like some people in like reviews and things i was like oh it doesn't do anything new it's not anything exciting and it's like i i can see that but i uh, i enjoyed it i think it's sort of as you say it did exactly what you need to do it's like rather than retreading the same ground is sort of treads on similar ground in like a, a bolder way that again as a sequel just bigger and better and number 22 at Man of the Wasp, Quantum Mania. Yeah, I, I know some people had a lot of problems with this, but I thought it was like a, a really fun At Man adventure with like, the whole family of, especially now that they've got like Janet and the, so the dynamic between like her and Hank in in the quantum realm and and Hope and like Cassie. So you've got like three generations of like pins all, all together trying to work it out in the quantum realm and it's just like a really fun adventure. And I know we both really enjoyed the like the, the portrayal of Kangness and of course all the Jonathan Majors as a as a horrible person. It was 
found guilty of domestic assault and, and harassment and things. So, um, R.I.P. That episode. Yeah, yeah, fuck him. Um, but uh, at number twenty-one, no one will save you. That was one that I. I was a strange film in like the best way. Yeah. The uh, another one that like there, there's been a few films this year that I, I might not have noticed in previous years. I just like huddled about and then instead of having to like go to the cinema or anything, I'm like, oh, they're on Netflix, so I'll just I'll check them out. I think I think that was this one or. There's no um, Hulu, but yeah, it was straight to streaming. Oh yeah, I think I must have been on Disney Plus then. There it is. Oh yeah, because I forget. Um, same. Anyway, point being. It's such a like a sensory experience, like so visceral the movie, like because of the way that the sound design is done and like the lack of dialogue and how stripped down and bare it feels and yeah. That was that was wild and another like really cool like spooky watch, but a sort of different kind of, of spooky watch the one that you might be used to. For sure. Well that brings me to my bottom ten, which is technically not my bottom ten because I had thirty eight total movies, but the last eight don't need to be talked about. There's one movie in that last eight that I thought I'd be talking about today, but it did not hold up to what everybody was saying, so we're going to leave it out of the discussion. Um, that said, these are not the my bottom ten movies that I saw this year. They are at least eight movies above. Um, and starting that is Ant-Man Quantumania. I, I loved it, don't get me wrong. I did, um, in the grand scheme of movies this year, it was one that I haven't really felt the urge to go back and rewatch. It wasn't anything horribly special, but I disagreed with all of the complaints that I was seeing about it for the most part. Yeah. I think I agreed that there were some attempts to lean more into a Star Wars feel than it maybe could have pulled off successfully. But um, otherwise, I, I still enjoyed that movie. It's going to be a hard rewatch now because all of those visceral moments with Kang, you're going to know, aren't as acted as we thought <laughs> they were. But there's a point in these moments where you recognize that people who are really good at playing abusive characters are usually pretty good at being abusive themselves. Um, And I think that's one of the more heartbreaking realities of that story. Um, Number 29, I know you'll have it later on your list, but uh, Cocaine Bear, it didn't make me laugh as hard as I expected it to. And that's just the truth. I think it paid too much seriousness to the non-cocaine bear side of the story to fully live up to the title and poster of that movie. Um, It was fun. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was hilarious, but it should have been a lot more funny than I felt like it ended up being. Um, Number 28, I got Scream 6. Uh, This movie surprised the hell out of me. I, I, you know, it's, it's this low on the list, but that's just because of how I kind of consider slasher films to be a lower quality of movie in my opinion kind of um i felt like it was a love letter to the rest of the series i thought it was really cool the only thing they could have done better is if they would have just decided to pay nev campbell appropriately so she could have been in this movie but as for the scream franchise uh i can't bring it up in this episode without bringing up that everyone should boycott the future one simply on the nature that they fired the main actress for speaking out against the genocide happening in Palestine right now. So the Scream team, the people that are in the movie are great, but uh, the folks behind the board seem to uh, be a little bit more team Ghostface when you stop and look at it. So if you like the Scream movies, I mean, I enjoyed the the most recent one and the one before it. Um, Both of them surprised me. I thought they were way better than they had any right to be you know, this far into a franchise that old. But, you know, I think that Wes Craven would have approved of this last installment, and that's what counts. 
Uh, number 27, I got Elemental. It was fun. It was fine. I enjoyed it. It was pretty weak on a lot of the messages, I felt like. Um, the parts that really did resonate with me, they resonated really hard. I think this is probably the lowest I have a movie ranked that I'm pretty sure made me cry. Um, but up next is 26. We already talked about Knock at the Cabin. Um, my only thing with this movie is that I read a review that explained how the book ends, or the short story, or whatever, how it ends in the written form. And I would have much rather it gone that way. Um, and so for that alone, it docked it down. But I was actually thoroughly impressed with this. I ended up going back after I watched this and watched M. Night Shyamalan's other film, Old. And I also rather enjoyed that movie, to my surprise. Um, number 25 is such a complicated movie for me to talk about, dude. I had such high expectations for the creator. It's like the original sci-fi movie of the year. I was eager for this to be one of my favorites of the year because I wanted so desperately to not have a top 10 that was full of IP and sequels right. and stuff. Yeah. But it just, the more I thought about this movie, the more I didn't like it. And that sucks because I, as I left the theater and my coworkers asked me what I thought, I said it was great. And by the time I went pee and got back out to talk to the person I saw it with, we were in agreement that we kind of didn't like it. Um, I didn't dislike it the same way my friend did, but since this is a comic podcast, it's a perfect time for me to talk about this. It feels so derivative of Jeff Lemire and Dustin Guyon's Descender, and it's hard to look past those similarities without comparing the two, because Descender does what the creator seems to promise it's going to do and i just there's a lot of stuff in that movie that i whenever i gave it a second thought afterwards i was like i actually don't know why that's how that went um i feel like it missed a lot of chances and so that's one of the ones i'm like the most disappointed to have it this low on my list truly um number 24 is a really interesting movie um this is a horror film called cobweb uh, starring Anthony Starr of Boys fame. Uh, that's Homelander. It's got Lizzie Kaplan, who I also adore. Um, it's funny, I can't even remember what I used to watch that she was in that I loved her in so much. She sh- She's in Hot Tub Time Machine, which is a terrible one to call back to, but I know she's in other stuff that I really enjoyed. Um, this is a creepy-ass movie about creepy-ass parents, and it's so hard to tell if the parents are actually creepy. And so for that, like... When it comes to psychological horror thrillers, it does a really good job of making you be like, oh shit, like, this is unhinged, what's going on? And just when you think you are cool to accept one thing about the movie, um, the ending was a trip. So definitely check out Cobweb if you like thrillers, um, just in line with uh, No One Will Save You, which is number 23. Um, This movie would be higher if I understood the ending a little bit better when I first saw it. I loved everything about it, and then by the time the movie ended, I was like, wait, what? What just happened? Okay, and that wasn't a good feeling for me. Um, The idea of an alien invasion being a home invasion movie, I thought was brilliant. I can't remember what, I'm going to click on it so I can see the actress's name, because she, Caitlin Deaver, holy shit, I've only seen her in, I think, Booksmart and this. I don't know if she's in other stuff. But she doesn't say, but like, I think two words, maybe the whole movie. She hardly freaking speaks, and it is such a powerful performance. Um, so for Alien fans, I think it, it gives you exactly what you want from weird gray men. Um, 
but the ending may or may not be for you. Like it kind of, when I read up on it and read what how people were interpreting, I was like, okay, I dig that. I respect that. I like it more. But I didn't change where it was on the list because whenever I have to have a movie explained to me like that, I just I, it, it makes me feel a little bit dumb. And I'm not so sure that I was dumb for not getting this ending so much as the ending was a little more abstract than I was expecting, I guess. Um, number 22, this is a movie that the more I think about it, the more I enjoy. And I only saw it the once in theaters. I've been dying to rewatch it. Um, the Last Voyage of the Demeter, taking the first chapter of... Uh, I don't know if it's the first chapter. I assumed it's the first chapter. It's a single chapter of Bram Stoker's Dracula novel made into a movie. And I think it's definitely one of my favorite Dracula movies ever. Um, It leaves the potential to say, what if we came back to this version of Dracula? And I would wholeheartedly return. Um, You follow this ship that is setting sail. Um... They need extra hands. They're shipping a shit ton of boxes, like 50 massive crates of stuff, just huge. And seemingly, uh, something is awry. Spoiler alert, it's Dracula. I mean, he's on the poster. Uh, Dracula's on these shipping containers. And what's really cool about this movie is it shows it really, like, I think it's fascinating the way they display Dracula as a creature that's, like, evolving as he gains his abilities. Like, he starts out, he's a lot more weak, slower creature form. But as it builds up, he gets more powerful. And I think that's what makes this movie so cool, is that the pacing of it was this really slow, menacing burn. And I felt like it was it was nice. It didn't rely on jump scares. It was just, like, really a well-done atmospheric horror. I mean, the whole movie, for the most part, takes place on a ship. And it, it, it was really, really fun. So I, I really enjoyed that one, and I'm eager to revisit it. Um, as far as where it lands on this list next to 21, I put Five Nights at Freddy's as number 21. I think I liked it a little bit more because there's this color and feel to the movie that is a little bit more appealing than Last Voyage of the Demeter. As much as I enjoyed Last Voyage, it's a little bit more monotone in both its storytelling and it's a it's a drier movie i'd say whereas five nights at freddy's had a little bit more intrigue and fun excitement to be in and there's some stuff that i just thought was funny um and before i pass on for the next chunk of this i just have to mention that somehow five nights at freddy's and haunted mansion both came out this year with pg-13 ratings and i think that that alone makes a case for a new rating system because there is nothing scary about Haunted Mansion in the slightest, and there is some stuff that made me, a 27-year-old, flinch and, like, wince at in Five Nights at Freddy's. I was surprised that that got to be as hard of a PG-13 as it did. While it didn't show a ton on screen, the stuff that it did show on screen, they made proper use of the gore in that movie. Um, I'll give them that, because... I watched Haunted Mansion, and then three days later, Five Nights at Freddy's came out, and I could not have been more floored at the stark difference in how they're both the same rating, and one I couldn't show to my little sisters, the other one they got bored watching. So it's like, <laughs> but that's my uh, sort of bottom ten. Nice. Brings us up to your number 20. Yeah, so my number 20 was Stray's. This is a, I mean, I, I wrote a movie about like dogs that, that talk that 
band around this one dog that wants to get revenge on his owner because he's an absolute dick. And the, it's one of those movies where it's like what you like see is what you get. What like the premise is like exactly what you get. Sort of like crude like dogs and and the the like the voicing cast. There's like Will Ferrell, Jamie Fox, uh, Ida Fisher, Randall Park is like the four main dogs. Is just like I thought they were. They like like really sold this in, in a way that like it, 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 I, I know that, like some people are like understandably like didn't like it what it was, but like I, I thought they're like genuine like great voice acting and just the whole like uh, 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 emotional character arc of this like as silly as it sounds to say for such a movie. It's like there was like genuinely such a a great like character arc here. And it was surprising, was it not? I was trying yeah. to hold off from my time of talking about Shrey's, mm-hmm. but I have to dip in at least a little bit because it, I feel like it just flows better when we're talking to the same movie together. It. I went in, I almost didn't see it. I went in, I saw it for free after hearing way too many good things about it from way more people and way more diverse of a crowd than I expected. The number of elderly people that enjoyed the hell out of this movie was in fact higher than the number of elderly people who walked out and demanded a refund because they were obscenely offended. Like, I could not have been more surprised by the responses to this movie. So I checked it out thinking, okay, I got nothing else to do and I'll walk out because it's free if I don't like it. And I might have been laughing harder than the very full theater of people. Um, It just busted my gut. And like you said, it just, it catches you with heart. It is everything it shows in the trailer, but it also has a secret punch of heart that I was not expecting. Yeah, it's like going back to my letterbox review. I think sometimes I see the first sentence, just as much crude humor as you would expect, with more heart and character than you'd think, with some more genuine laughs and great running gags. And it's like, yeah, the, the cast it was a treasure. They sold the character notes so well. It, it could have been such a shallow idea. Like, oh, I mean, I like, that's all I thought it was. I thought it was going to be shallow. It is, I mean, yeah. Well, it's like you watch the trailer, you see the trailer before the film, and you're like, that's, that could be either fun or really awful and yeah it's actually like emotional at times it's just crazy and uh i mean like we might not have a lot of time to talk about more about like needle drops of the year too much but the wrecking ball needle drop in this is is definitely a contender you know for a fact i'll mention oh them. my god because when those movies come up they come up and that is yeah. that, that stood as the best record drop of the year until the movie we'll talk about later um never has a song fit a scene better um than Re- wrecking ball right oh as those big paws step on his shoulders but it's just like you watch that scene and it's like what am i watching in like the best way like this is a real thing well, oh and working at a movie theater i saw the post credit scene already i knew that by the end of the movie a certain thing would happen to the main guy I didn't realize that the entire driving force of the movie was to do that, and it paid off so well because Will Forte leaned all the way into playing a piece of shit. The little bit of screen time he has, he is such an awful person that there is no ounce of grace that you want to give his character at all. Oh my god. Oh dear. So funny. At number 19, I had Cocaine Bear because... This, this this is one of those where so like at, at university with one of my societies for like the socials that we have it's in this like place on campus 
and there's like a TV screen where like often they have music, but then there's also like traders and things and adverts. There's of course always like the same few. So it's like if you're in there for a couple of hours, you're seeing like the same trailer, like the same sort of like snippet, like quite a few times. And so it's happened a few times. Just mainly check out movies like uh, Knock at the Cabin and and Cocaine Bear, and it, w- it would always be like that's that's a real movie. And I'm like, you know what? I- I'm going to go see it. I I want to go see that and it's like it's like the same movie if there's one thing it is to me it it wasn't bland like the way that sort of set in the 80s and sort of leads into that like aesthetic and the atmosphere and the music and i feel like what was entertaining for me is that it doesn't take itself too seriously like as it shouldn't it should be like funny comedic but it, it still manages to make the bear like menacing and like threatening and you're like laughing at scenes and then suddenly someone's getting like torn apart and you're like oh jesus christ um and there's some like genuinely intense scenes sort of like it's like a big dumb action movie but it's like a very good one at least and i know that i i understand what you're saying and it's sort of always like the thing with um like kaiju movies as well it's like how much do you feature the human characters which believe me we'll, we'll get, get into later, later on oh <laughs> yes, my God. But, um, <laughs> but like i and there, there were like a lot of characters in cocaine bear probably more than necessary but i i enjoyed most of them and oh my god it's definitely the most probably probably most insane movie this year and like there are some serious contenders but oh my god there's like a movie where so a moment where someone's like it's bear it, it's on cocaine and then I think it's like a letterbox review where it's like, this is the movie that you're seeing characters in another movie watch, which is meant to be like a silly parody that isn't meant to exist. I'm like, yeah, that, that's accurate. It's like a two hour version of that. And yeah, what a, what, what a movie. Especially as someone that isn't always like comfortable with like gore. It, it's like if you're squeamish, it, it can get a bit close to high at points, but. Oh, oh my God! What it's, what a movie! It, you can't talk about Cocaine Bear without the sad reality of it is that a random ass bear overdosed on cocaine and just just straight up died. There's there was no I know, that was... wreaking havoc. It's just the bear died, and they made an entire movie about well, what if the bear didn't just die and actually had like a humanoid response to cocaine? <laughs> I know that was the thing that was not not like. I mean, it like kind of funny, but not. But it's sort of like in a funny and like a dark way. You realize the situation. I'm mean, like explaining the whole thing to my mum, and she's just like, "That's that's just sad." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. That's 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 the correct response." Oh dear. And I'm 18. I had Elemental. I haven't um watched all of the sort of Disney Pixar movies in the past few years. There's a there's a few that I got to and loved, and there's a few that I just, like ha- haven't seen yet. But Elemental was one that I checked out, and I think I, I don't know if like Elemental it's all benefited from like low expectations because if you saw like the trailer and the promotional stuff like leading up to it, it looked really bland and just like just, like stereotypical and like what if X thing had feelings is like the meme I saw always going around it's like yeah that's like really understandable but when you put I just, it that way i agree but yeah. i totally was unmuting myself to disagree that like i really liked the trailers and i was like yeah interesting fun. and then i just felt like the movie didn't land quite as hard as the trailer did for me i think 
um, like what I thought saw was interesting is like the trailer, like, like the first clips of displays from like a visual, like animated stand animation standpoint. It's like a cool like exercise yeah. to sort of like create like a sixty second thing like that. But they weren't sure how it would have actually like put the characters and put the story in to make it like a full on movie, which which like initially I sort of understood, but then I. I don't know. It, it, it sort of took me by surprise in like how sweet I found it. Like I was like way more emotionally invested than I, I expected to be. I really enjoyed the like the, the whole aesthetic of like, the different designs and the different elements like within the city. It's all very like vibrant and rich and just a really cool like uh, the way it was like, all done visually. And I don't know. I, I I just was like really engaged with like the, the stories of like the different elements, different races of elements, like interweaving together, and like the, the two characters. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I was feeling overly emotional that day for some reason, but for some reason it just really connected with me. Like I said, it's probably the lowest I'll rank a movie that made me cry. Once it gets into yeah. the generational trauma elements, I really am uh, attached to those sides of that movie. Um, one thing that I. Uh, was going to gently uh, intrude on it is just the short that came with this movie because that's one of the key things with Pixar's is that this short was yes. so special. Yes, sir, I was right. so excited to watch this with my fiance and I forgot to mention that when I reviewed it, but uh, Carl's date was so, so Oh awesome. my God. It made me cry before oh, the movie yes. started and I was like, what the fuck? Um, so I would have, I, I, your response tells me it was okay that I, I did intrude for this because I was like, you know what? I think we're both going to forget to talk about this. Yeah. Um, it didn't register you until you talked about seeing the other Pixar movies from recently. And I was like, other Pixar movies. I was like, what else did I see Pixar recently? I was like, no, the short, that's what it was. Yeah. At number 17, I had one that you'll be excited to, I know, they cloned Tyrone. Yeah. Cause that's another one where it's like, I remember when I saw the reviews, like from like you and other other people, they're like, oh, that looks fine. I'm sure like I'll assume it was in the cinema. Like, oh, I'll just catch it later on. And I was like, oh no, it's on Netflix. I can just go watch it. And then I didn't go into watching it until before, before recording this anyway. But uh, yeah, oh my god, I feel like this is one of those movies that I like. The more I think about it, like the more it sinks in, I'm like, damn. Um, and I, I know that you've sort of we talked like off air about like sorry to bother you yeah and i can't wait for your thoughts which i'm excited to watch i don't know where it's streaming for you to check it out but if there i'm knowing that you enjoyed they clone tyrone as much as you're you've told me and now like you're saying here um it makes me really eager for that um frankly my thing i think this movie would have done better if it would have gone to theaters um I, i think it went under talked about which is kind of a well, shame. Well, it's like the the top um, two of the most popular reviews on Letterboxd about it mention that it's like if a film drops on Barbenheimer weekend and there's no one around to see it, does it make a sound? Yes. That's the most popular review of it on Letterboxd. Yeah. Um, and, and like the, the top one is like saying how Barbenheimer will force this moving into the shadows and five years on, Twitter will be saying, how is this not more popular? Which, come to think of it, that, that review is optimistic that Twitter will last that long, but that's neither here nor there. Um <laughs> Yeah, that dates that tweet. Again, only from only from several months ago, it just shows how quickly anyway. John like John Boyega, Tuna Paris and Jamie Foxx were like such a standout trio in, in this movie that oh, I feel like like these days, um similar to 
it's going to sound like a mean comparison, but it's, it's similar to Stray is when so much of it is like IP based and about the movies themselves. It's cool when you sort of can appreciate the actual like actors themselves. I mean, who would have thunk it? But and I, I realize I've never really seen Jamie Fox in anything. I mean, like I've seen I've seen him as Electra, who, but like apart from that, um, so so that was really cool. Of course, like John Boyega and. Getting to see Toyota Paris as, as something other than outside of a Marvel property. It's just, yeah. Well, wild. I, I really, really liked the whole, like, aesthetic of it. Again, how it's sort of, like, slightly grainy, way it was shot, and it sort of like, looked, like, sort of darker, and how that sort of illuminates when they get into, like, the weird sci-fi stuff. And, yeah, that was, yeah, that was weird. I, 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 I liked didn't realize it. that that was the same actress. Yeah. I, until, I was like... You're saying that name, and then you said Marvel. Yes. Like, wait, is that her? I'm looking at the picture. I'm like, it is her. It's obviously her. I don't know that. I I don't know how I didn't notice that somehow. I mean, I it took me about well, because at, at first I was like doubting myself, and about half an hour in, I was like, yeah, that's that's definitely her. Well, to and be what, fair, um, she plays a totally different fucking character. That's yeah, no, yeah, no kidding. No kidding at oh. all. Like the furthest from Monica. Um. That's so fun. I I love that. And I mean, because yeah, like you're saying, like, the cast is great. John Boyega, even their outfits as well. No, that's awesome. I'd love to see her like, more stuff because I loved her in this. I thought it was a totally different actress. I was like, I don't know the actress that was in this, but she was great. And then you said that other than Marvel properties, I was like, wait, is that Monica? And sure enough, and like like the such a great start to it, and like the the ending, like n- no way not to spoil it at all, but. Like, oh my god, that oh, that was so funny. Um, how how it ends, like oh 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 shit. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll I'll then. add my bits whenever I talk about it soon. So I'll let you keep going. <laughs> yes. Uh, which one was that? That was seventeen. Yeah. So next, uh, Nomona sixteen. This again, like we talked about it earlier with various like um animations, but. The amount of like energy is just bursting with energy. How like dynamic and just so epic and bright and like the animation. Yeah, I love the animation here. And I haven't read the the graphic novel by it's based on and Andy Stevenson. Yeah, originally, but um. And I think that there were some like some changes from that, but I can't speak on those. But yeah, like Terry Gase, one of those like Riz Ahmed, was awesome people. I I just had so much fun with it. It was like delightful, and the like the world built up here, the emotional threads and ideas and themes, and I got teared up a couple of times. It just felt like such a uh, so maybe that just like comes out swinging. It's not going to be like theatrical at all, and like the the brief synopsis. Yeah, on Netbox, in case you don't know, it's just like a night frames for tragic crime teams of a scrappy shape shifting team to prove his innocence. And that like scratches the surface, but I'm sure they probably go into it more in the in the graphic novel. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Another one on Netflix that's worth checking out that was saved from, I believe it was saved from like, the, the shutdown of Blue Sky and all, all of that mess. At number 15, I had Renfield and. This is like a similar one. This feels like in a similar vein to like movies like Cocaine Bear and maybe even Strays and like what I'll talk about next, Joyride. But Renfield, oh my god, 
which just it's just like slightly insane in like the best ways with Nicholas Holt, the new Lex Luthor, which makes me really excited as we talked about earlier. Uh, Nicholas Cage, like lots of like great cast and tackling which like by the way, did you know about Renfield as like a character like before? I mean, I mean, I know he showed up in the the Tiny Inn and Simmons Dracula series as well, but like, because I didn't know that like I'd heard of Dracula obviously, but I hadn't heard of like Renfield as uh, as like a character associated with him before this movie. So I had heard of the name and I had heard of the character very loosely. In that, when the trailer came out, I was like, "Oh yeah, Renfield, Dracula's assistant." But yeah. it wasn't enough that I had ever seen him from anything or read anything from it. So other than the movie and, like you said, uh, Tinian's book, um, I have not otherwise been ex- – I don't know where I would have learned it from. Like I genuinely can't think of what it's from. But I have this almost like – it feels like a formative memory of like, of course I know that that's a thing. But I don't know when I learned about him. It, it, it's If that makes any sense, it really yeah. felt like this thing that I just knew when the trailer came out. And I couldn't tell you why because to my knowledge, I don't think I would have known. But somewhere along the way, I seem to have uh, gotten enough Dracula lore that I I learned the name. Yeah, and I think like the best thing about this movie is that it could have easily stumbled into like so bad it's good, but it was just good. Like yeah. it was really campy, like really violent, and leaning into like the relationship between Dracula and ass- assistant Renfield as like a toxic codependency relationship narcissistic abuse oh and it's just so so funny and that immediately sold me and it did not disappoint yeah whenever you're talking about cocaine baron being a little bit squeamish about gore i was kind of giggling on the inside because i know that you right yeah that's true this and that's i think a good point. Is definitely one of the more graphic movies that. of the year like i want so badly to show that one to my fiance because i think that they would resonate so wholeheartedly with that movie and they would love it They'd even be okay with the fact that there's violence, but that movie is so grotesque. <laughs> it, like I was not expecting them to go as hard on the horror grotesque side as they did. I thought, like you said, it, it ran the risk of being so bad it's good, and ended up just being. It, it's one that I'll talk about in a little bit again, but it, it surprised the hell out of me. Oh, what what a movie! <laughs> and it, it's like yeah, what, what I was saying like a few moments ago, Reds. Like, not going to be one of those that's, like, the best of the best, but it's, like, if I can, like, like it's not, like, S-tier, but if I can recommend, like, one film from A-tier, it's, like, definitely up there, if, if you can handle it. Oh, God. And number 14, I had Joyride, which was another great recommendation from you, like, a few of these. I'm, I didn't quite manage to catch in the cinema because August was just such a packed month, but I, I finally watched it, like, in, in November, and again, one of those like movies where it's like some wild scenes and yet some incredibly emotional scenes. It's like, wait, no, how, why does this suddenly get? Why am I crying suddenly? This is so wild, and it's like, including particularly one moment which I know you like oh, yeah. me about. Oh my, oh my God, it's about uh, for. <clears throat> Four Asian American friends travel through Asia and such one of their birth mothers. Along the way, they experience becomes one of bonding, friendship, belonging, and no holds barred debauchery. Is that it? But yeah, I just uh, yeah, I'll talk about it soon. It was, it, yeah, it, it made it was me so bad how low it's ranked because of how much I love that movie wholeheartedly. Yeah, um, but 
I, I saw a shit ton of movies this year. I know. It's, it's so... I start working at a movie theater at the middle of the year. <laughs> like, breezy, hilarious, raunchy, ultimately emotional by the end, is how I like, try to oh, come exactly. up in my review. Yeah, it's like, you don't need to get lost in the shuffle ever, like it, it might have, but um, it's sort of worth like, going back to that sort of film. Yeah. Just, yeah. Lots of laughs, lots of fun. Like the dynamic between the, the four characters, it's like you gotta make sure that that's like on point to, to carry the movie. And that's definitely yeah, it, it, the trailers looked like it was gonna be a raunchy, raucous time with a chance to have some heart, and it looked like it would probably be pretty predictable. So for it to be less predictable and more funny than I was even expecting. It, it won me over on all fronts. Um, I think that the dynamics of these ladies was so good. I would genuinely watch a movie with them playing different characters together just because, like, all of them together. They just, I don't know what it was. They they felt like they actually were these characters and they knew each other. Like, they're not from anything else but this movie. They they felt so in tune with each other. And the, the riffing was, was great. But, yeah, I love that movie. And it's on Hulu now, so people can actually check it out yeah. after this is released. Now, a number 13, another one that I know you feel personally connected to. But because this year, I finally became a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. What, what? This is a movie that I knew it existed, but I like actively just didn't bother to watch the trailers and things when I, when I saw they were out because I just didn't... I, I was always like, int- I'm always intrigued by these sorts of things, these sorts of properties. Um, but I never like, never enough to like properly try them. But then, like when I saw the trailer before a movie, like reliably at the cinema, I was like, oh, oh my god! I and I fell in love with the like specifically the characters. I know such a big talking point of this movie was how they were like actually voiced by teenagers and everything, like recording in the same booth and having that teenage chemistry which made the movie so special and I think that's what like easily like sold me on it and got me invested because I'm just always I just always really love that sort of having fun with those like younger characters that's just so playful and exciting and like the, the animation style was it was such a cool start I saw lots of people comparing it to like Spider-Verse which I didn't like really understand that, I don't know. It's just more than it's just a similar two point five D. As people were saying, look, where it's not quite um three D, but it's still got a very like I've heard that phrasing for two point yeah, five D. That actually is a really helpful way to describe the art style. Yeah, because um, um, that's the only similarity is that it changes the norm from it's not another three D animated movie from Illumination. It's not another you know, 2D animated thing going to Disney Channel or something like that. Like, it's not on Cartoon Network, it's going on the big... It, it's this beautiful in-between that also manages to touch on, like, the comic art style, which I really appreciate. Um, I, I was blown away when I saw the first trailer. I was stoked this movie's been in the works for years now. I couldn't have been happier with it, but uh, I totally get where it is on your list, because knowing whenever i learned that you hadn't been exposed to ninja turtles fully yet i was like well damn dude this is a great chance to do it um and you know with talks of the sequel i, I couldn't be happier that you got a chance to check this out and 
enjoy this. And it was really cool to talk to Michael Dialnis about his poster that he did for Greece, um, which was yes. just so cool to see one of our favorite comic creators working on. Well, for me, one of my most anticipated movies of the year for the promotional art. I wish I could have that poster in my room. Honestly, it's my favorite promotional image of this this movie. And yeah, because like it, it's such a fun and unique store where like unlike Spider Verse, which is very like clean and kinetic and dynamic, which I mean we love, but it sort of has that same like kinetic and dynamic sense of motion, but it's a lot sort of grimier and it fits like the like the dirty field of like New York and like the sewers and with and like the, all the different like mutant characters and things that that actually feel like gross and rough and it just gives it a bit of like grit and texture which is like quite quite entertaining it makes it feel special and oh yeah like yeah the, the characters the emotions the it's just a really great like story and like again everyone to talk about like needle drops and i know that i'm still preaching to the choir on that one yeah like no no dignity and the the action scene is there and can i kick it and oh just those are like some of the highlights like you can see why they well no, I mean no Dickety was like great in the movie but like Kanaka you can see why that was used in the trailer and that didn't disappoint when it was in the actual movie so it was just so satisfying to watch at number 12 I had the Super Mario Bros movie and this is uh, I, I feel like this was such a fun like comparison point to the Turtles movie like coming out coming out of like both movies which gave me very like similar feelings in a way but so one where I had a deep connection to the to the characters and one where I did not where, where it's like like coming out of Turtles where I can sort of empathize with like the fans of the the, the characters like oh yeah I can see like what that meant for you and like as someone that enjoyed like Mario as a movie but also just like appreciating all like the fan service and things it's like oh yeah I can see that and like speaking of Mario what a fun like real ride it's like a whistle stop tour of so many like Mario like references and and points and things which makes it sound maybe a bit shallow and I know like understandably people have all sorts of criticisms about illumination but it was I mean, it it was bright, it was entertaining, it was fun, it was so like frantic, but in and in an enjoyable way. And the the animation was absolutely gorgeous, especially to see it on the big screen, like really bringing those like colourful like video game worlds to life. It was just, I mean, yeah, what 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 you would hope for. And I hope that so give a bit more if there's like sequels and things because of the success of this one. I mean, it killed at the box office, so that, that they can expand the world more and. Chris Pratt as Mario wasn't too bad, like, to admit it. I know that was, again, something that was always one of the points of contention leading up to this. It could have been, like, much better, presumably, but it was serviceable. And, like, especially against... That's for sure, too. Yeah, well, exactly. Especially Garfield trailer. Especially compared to, like, Jack Black as Bowser. Yeah, it's hard to beat. Jack Black put his whole fucking soul into that role like the like the passion was just like aw- awesome seeing that yeah it, that, that was the part the one of the parts i was most excited for just 
it was like legendary and it was sort of fun to be like the first sort of viral song of the year of sorts in, in Peaches before I just came, came around and with Barbie. Um, yeah, Jack Black is a treasure. And, and like picking up on all that, the visual, the musical, then and story points, and it, yeah, it, it obviously like could have been a lot more substantial, but it, it, it I thought it was still like really good for for what it was. Enjoyed it. Yes, and then the, uh, number eleven, my last for this batch, I had the Marvels just barely pushed out the top ten by um, a movie which I watched this afternoon, which I'll get to. Because oh my god, I, I know I know you did as well. But we had so much fun with this movie. I think it was one of my like I was like excited for for, for Guardians for like a lot of reasons and like Quantumania was a sort of fun. But like the Marvels was one where because it was like seeing like Miss Marvel on the big screen. I mean, Aman Banani is just such a a treasure and such a a delight to watch and everything she's she's been in like seeing the how all these like three amazing characters like come together with like, Brie Larson, more Brie Larson as Captain Marvel and Tiana Paris which you like, briefly mentioned before as, as Monica Rambeau it's just yeah I feel like um it was not another one of those films that was really like breezy entertaining but still had some like like the great characters the great emotions and I feel like it's one of those movies I could watch like again and again. Like uh, no trouble going back to because it's just such a fun ride and one that I was hoping to to catch at least one more time in, in the cinema, but I ended up seeing it once. Which I I mean, just happy to see it once. But yeah, I don't know the 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 whole idea of the like the switching powers, it's like delightfully comic booky, like when they're like breaking out and as they refine it and, and everything, that was one of the most heavily teased parts and I thought that was played out really nicely. And because we didn't know what to expect with it. I was yeah. kind of unsure. I was like, that's kind of weird whenever I realized that at the end of Miss Marvel it was actually her switching places and not her realizing she has the shape shifting abilities that she has in comics. Right, so yeah. So like, no, no, they're swatch, like, switching places. So I was like, okay, well, I guess we'll see how this goes. And I went in open-minded to that concept, and I thought it played out really well. Yeah, and my, my sort of other major points was, like, similar to Doctor Who, I recognized I'm not the most reliable person, one of the least reliable people to say, speak on this, because I'm so deeply entrenched in AMCU. But I, for all the complaints about about, like, how it's following up five million different things from like Far From Home post credit scenes and most Marvel shows and One Division and the resort Captain Marvel and that I thought it was like I thought it stood on its own really nicely, like sufficiently and satisfyingly. But I think that's also a conversation that I talked about in our deleted Quantum Mania episode about the idea of films that feel similar to like picking up a comic book as opposed to like picking up the next chapter in the story like you can consider like the Iron Man so movie. Well with this movie yeah story. whereas like the with the Iron Man movies there's sort of a very like heavy and intense connective tissue between them of like the Captain America etc um but I feel like this and a, with a lot of these phase four and five movies that are a lot more disconnected to their like original like first movies like Doctor Strange as well Multiverse of Madness that just picks up that's just a Doctor Strange adventure which feels like exactly what you would get like, oh, I'm just picking up a Doctor Strange comic. I'm just picking up a Captain Marvel comic. So like, I understand, like, I, I understand the criticism. I just don't necessarily think that um, it was something that was 
too big of a problem, but that's that's the sort of thing I, I guess I'll find out if I try and show my my parents and see what they think about it as someone that's um people that are unnecessarily like they've enjoyed lots of the films but aren't as like, entrenched about it. And with like the villain, I know people were saying that like, the villain was forgettable and like the villain was like forgettable as a person. But like I loved her motivation. That was such a cool motivation. Like I thought it was excellent motivation. I think that people all around are just undervaluing her. Um, like, they, the, like calling the, her half baked. Yeah. Like I think it's a matter of villain of the week half baked. Where like you said, yeah, it's like a comic issue where it doesn't necessarily matter who they're fighting right now. It matters like why a, they're fighting and the causes. Yeah, surrounding. yeah. Because like the grand cosmic stakes, like the phrase that I used in my review that it brought to it. Um, felt so like personal to Carol and how she's like dealing with everything like because we didn't we, we I mean she's sort of there in Endgame to be like the powerhouse we don't really see too much of her as like a character so to actually see her in the present properly in like thirty years since the first movie after everything um yeah I, I, yeah such a joy that's great fun. I mean that's not even mentioning like the ending I know lots of people like understandably like talking about the the mid credit scene which is like a whole thing but like the ending was like the most excited i've ever the been ending was awesome i know by I was ending oh my ending god i i like i i like was like oh yeah like so excited i almost stood yeah. up like i was i was stoked oh. and so it's like when you got to the mid credit scene i was like oh that's I was already riding that sort of like wave of happiness. I was like, "Oh wow, that's that's really cool." Especially because it like, emulates still... the, one of the first end credit scenes. Like, mm, but oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I could spend like minutes talking about how much I love that, that ending alone. But uh, I'll, I'll pass it back over to you. Well, we'll hop right in. Um, the first two on this chunk, I don't have as much to say about. Admittedly, um, number twenty is Trolls Band Together. Uh, I had the absolute delight of taking my little sisters to see this a couple weekends ago, and their sincere love for these movies makes me love them just as much. Um, I've never seen the first one. I watched the second one because it was the movie that came to streaming instead of theaters when the shutdown happened in 2020, and I was like, oh my gosh, this it made me fall in love with kids' movies again. Um, and while I, I personally don't think I like this one more than the second one, um, I still loved it. I thought it was excellent. The girls loved it. The music was fun. Um, the heart of the story was really touching. Um, it did everything a good kids movie needs to do. Um, number 19, I have Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, um, a movie that I was like intentionally stifling my expectations for because I was a huge Indiana Jones fan whenever I first got introduced to Indiana Jones, probably two years before Crystal Skull came out. I loved Crystal Skull, but nobody else in my family and nobody else that I knew saw it or enjoyed it. So I kind of let my love for Nina Jones die down for that and a number of other reasons. But I've always loved those movies. Uh, They've held a special place in my heart. Um, And to be back with Nina Jones and Harrison Ford, you know, all these years later and to still say that I mean like I gave this movie five stars I loved it it made me laugh it made me sit at the edge of my seat it made me cry it it was a perfect movie as far as what it needed to be um I I genuinely loved it it was so nostalgic and it 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 offered more than just nostalgia is the other thing that's what I liked I thought of the Indiana Jones giant threats that he could be dealing with 
this was one of the more creative and unique um, things. And it, it took the Indiana Jones movies to uh, another realm of exciting adventure that um, only these movies can take you to. So I, I really loved Indiana Jones. Um, number 18, uh, I liked Dungeons & Dragons more than you did, I think. But that's because uh, I play Dungeons & Dragons. It's been a while, but I also this was a movie that I was looking oh, forward right. to watching with my fiancé. And anytime I get to watch a movie with my fiancé, it immediately elevates it. Because we don't get to watch a lot of movies together. Like I said with Renfield, a lot of it becomes accessibility. Is it like something that's going to really upset them? Stuff like that. So we both thought this was so fun um, and exciting. It was exactly what we wanted from it. And it, it had the heart where it needed to. Um, and plenty of laughs. Um, number 17, we talked about Joyride. And I told you it's lower than it should be. But the, I saw a lot of movies this year, man. I really saw a lot of movies this year. Um, I just, it was hilarious. It had that surprise heart that we already talked about. It had a fun soundtrack too. stylistically. Like it was great. I'm looking at the poster still and like just the neon on the poster and remnant of some of the like club scenes or other stuff. And it's just also nice to see a movie that's located somewhere other than America or England. Um, like I didn't realize how impactful that was until I was sitting down in the theater and I was like, wow. How cool is it to just like get street views of Tokyo on the big screen and it's just like being taken yeah. to literally another place that you, like I don't I've never been I've never had the chance to and it's not a super accessible thing because I don't know the language so like having the ability to be transferred into another like country altogether was like wow this is cool as hell like to have the different scenery and uh, different stuff to really like take in it, it felt so nice um to have that and i felt like the cultural side of this movie was very impactful even for me a very white person like i I have no uh, anything in my background i'm genuinely just about as white as it gets and you know i still just felt like the story was something that you should just be able to connect with as a human being with a heart honestly um bonus points for surprise representation um pretty sure one of the characters is autistic know for sure that by the end of the movie they're living their best life as a they them and i love that um number 16 one of the most recent movies i saw in theaters one of the craziest movies i've ever seen and the one of the movies that is actually the more i think about it the more i enjoy it um and that's dream scenario i got two nicholas cage films in this chunk to talk about and i think that's pretty hilarious um this movie is unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, everything that it does right, it nails. And the things that I felt like maybe were offshoots or maybe missteps were things that I could look past for artistic purpose. Kind of like No One Will Save You. It doesn't have to fully sell me on the end end. I'm like taking in the most abstract side of this movie if I can get the rest of the other stuff um because the whole movie's abstract i mean this is a dude who's just a professor showing up in people's dreams all over the world is it just because everyone's seeing that everyone else is dreaming about him what is it who knows it doesn't offer an explanation as to why it's happening it just shows you what happens when suddenly the entire world knows about you and is watching you and furthermore, what happens when the entire world gets ideas placed in their heads about you without ever meeting you or interacting with you? It tackles 
internet virality, the rise of internet fame, and this fucking brutal fall to the bottom of it when it comes to cancel culture. But it doesn't do so in a way that's like, ugh, cancel culture is ick. It does so in a way of saying, well, cancel culture isn't real to the people that you're seeing get canceled like Jonathan Majors, someone who's a proven abusive person versus a person who everyone is dreaming is doing something horrible to them, but they've never met this dude, you know? And it takes this idea of canceling an everyday person and how, you know, frankly, you're just less protected from it. But like Louis C.K. gets canceled and he can still come back years later and sell out, you know, Madison Square Garden. Is that really being canceled? This movie really does offer this look on cancel culture from the perspective of, if you remember from 2020, City Park Karen, as they so aptly named her. A video came out of a woman calling the cops on a black man. It seems to be fully one-sided that she was being problematic comes out i mean that really did tear her life apart and at the end of the day it came out the person recording that video is a serial offender in terms of going around to people at parks and in public and offering other people's dogs treats when they see them not on a leash so that woman was completely antagonized and put in a very uncomfortable position and so she called the police now, am I saying it's right to call police? No, but I'm saying the entire world came down on this woman. Everybody knew about her. People were doxing her. People knew everything about this woman. She lost her stuff. And, you know, that's something that we get seen in Dream Scenario without, like, spoiling the movie. But, like, it really shows this up and down of internet virality. Um, you know, does your response to something that makes you upset look different when the entire world is watching you under a certain lens versus if nobody was watching you. If nobody knew about the Jonathan Majors thing, there would be nothing to go about it, but that would still be a real thing. What if everybody thought they knew about something? We're talking about AI and deepfake stuff nowadays. What if there was a fake video that was proven fake, but not enough people realized it was proven fake, and it still had the ramifications it had? It's just an, it's a very interesting movie. Um, it is not for everyone. I can tell you right now, it is not for everyone, um, but it is a fascinating movie to discuss and think about. And for that, I, I, I really did enjoy it. Um, number 15, I don't have much to say about it. I loved it. It was fantastic. It was brilliant. I don't have any qualms with it, but it's Oppenheimer. It It is exactly what it should have been. Um, I appreciate it for what it was as I was you know, cleaning up theaters after barbenheimer weekend it was fun to dip into oppenheimer later on and watch those final scenes again and feel just how impacted i was seeing the last like five to ten minutes out of context from sitting in the full three-hour feature um cillian murphy's fantastic um i think it's funny the memes that everybody makes about his wife in this movie played by emily blunt because i didn't realize that she was drunk pretty much every scene she's in until i got out of the movie and saw everybody joking about how she was drunk the entire movie pretty much um but no you know i don't think i have anything profound to say about that movie um number 14 they clone tyrone uh like I said, I think this movie would have done better with a theatrical release, especially if it had not been timed Barbenheimer weekend. Like, seriously. Um, I did love it. It's great. I can't help but feel that it's overshadowed by a movie that is in no way related to it, and that is Sorry to Bother You, which I had 
uh, we briefly talked about because I told Joe I'm excited for him to watch that now. Um, I think that if it weren't for Sorry to Bother You, this movie would be a lot bigger of a deal. But in a world post Sorry to Bother You, I felt like maybe they could have done bigger things with what they were doing. That said, I think the mere concept of the movie alone is genius. Um, I I agree with everything we were saying earlier. I, I'd love to rewatch it. It, it, it is a, a genuinely a great movie. I don't want to fully discredit it because of how much I love Sorry to Bother You. It's just I think some of the experiences you're having with They Clone Tyrone are experiences that I had with Sorry to Bother You. But having seen them both, I can tell you which one is a more intense version of that similar feeling where you're like, right, oh, shit, yeah. that ending. So that's whenever I say, you know, that it's overshadowed, I don't mean so in a negative way. Genuinely, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Um, number 13, the only thing I'll say about Strays that you didn't say is just that, um, I mean, I is another movie I got to show my fiance. I, I went in, I was going to potentially walk out i thought it was going to be dirty stupid humor and i thought i had outgrown a movie of this caliber little did i know it was exactly what i needed to like help my mind in the way that i've been the last half of this year honestly (laughs) um it was just all joy and the stuff where you're like oh where it does like hit your heart it hits your heart in a good way like is it hard to watch somebody pretend to be abusive to a dog absolutely but it's done so in such a over the top way that it doesn't hurt you to watch it. Um, like instead you're really just watching really, really good dog actors. Um, which is the thing I think, um, you didn't really dive into is that this is a movie with dog actors and they do a great job. And the animation for the talking animals is the best animation for any talking animals I've ever seen. Um, You would hope so Uh, at this point, but I expected that one of my concerns with this movie was that I was going to get tired of watching really poorly dubbed dog talking. Um, I thought it was, it was so good. It was, it was so good. They were so expressive and, like I said, these dogs all deserve awards and treats and belly rubs. And yeah, I wish I knew the dogs' names instead of the cast names is that. And I'll say, uh, as I was watching in theaters, just absolutely cackling, I knew that it would be a movie that not only could I show my fiance, but I knew that it would be one of their favorite movies of all time because they're a pet sitter and they do it professionally. They have for two years now. They love their job. They meet so many amazing dogs with so many different personalities. And to see my fiance break down laughing as hard as they were during this movie and then further to have them crying at the end because of how sweet the final messagings were. Um, Strays is definitely one of the funniest movies of the year um, and definitely a, a, a new favorite too. Um Number 12, this movie was so weird because I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where I liked it more the second time around. Whenever I went to see Bottoms the first time, I saw it with a friend I hadn't had a chance to hang out with before. And I think I was too preoccupied with whether or not the people I was seeing it with were having a good time or if I had just invited them to a movie that was not their speed at all. Because I had no clue. I didn't... I. I know enough of this person's taste. They're the ones that told me to watch Owl House, but I don't know fully what they enjoy. So they said they'd watch the movie after seeing the trailer. I was like, cool. But I think I was so nervous that it took away some of my enjoyment of the movie. So when I saw it later with another friend, 
I was just busting up laughing the whole time. Um, it's just fucking hilarious. The entire cast is amazing. Um, the heart of the movie is, you know, giving queer people a chance to see themselves in like a coming of age high school flick where the queer story isn't about queer trauma. It's, you know, these, I can't find the interview. I was trying desperately to find it, but the, I think it's the director said that they wanted to see a movie with shitty queer characters the way that you see movies with shitty straight characters all the time, like super bad. And where Booksmart did what Booksmart did, and it's definitely, I, I think it's hard to compare the two. I think Bottoms nailed it on the raucous, raunchy, queer comedy of the year kind of thing. Um, it was hilarious to find out a lot of it was improvised is no surprise. Uh, the leading ladies are so fucking funny. Um, I, I want to watch them as like a kind of like how uh, Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart started getting paired up for some reason. Um, I would, I think these two, they've been doing like improv stuff and sketch comedy for years. So to see them together in this movie, um, they cracked me up. Um, it also a uh, soundtrack by Charlie XCX, the final song credit song is like ruled my year and it it's just been amazing um number 11 uh quite a bit higher on your list uh than on your list is renfield for me um i had low expectations for this movie i thought it looked funny and fun and it was both of those things but it also hit me so hard in the gut with the messaging about removing yourself from narcissistic abuse um, it couldn't have hit a more personal chord with what it was operating on. So I, I, I was completely surprised by Renfield. It, it took me by storm whenever I finally got a chance to watch it. I wish I had seen it in theaters, um, but I'm almost glad I didn't for the sake of nobody was with me to skew how I felt about the movie because I do feel like I probably like this movie more than most folks because of that really deep personal connection to this like awful dynamic between Dracula and Renfield. Um, but that's my next 10, which brings us to the top 10, my friend. Yeah. Bottoms was one that I was like disappointed to hear that. Apparently it only came out here, like November, and it came out in the like, States a few months earlier. So I was like fully expect uh, going on to like, um, streaming services and things, fully expecting to be able to like at least rent it, watch it before this. But no, I guess it's only been too recently out in in cinemas. But that sucks. I'm very I'm very excited to to get to that when I can. It's really really fun. It's also um, it's such an intentional yeah. movie. I you know the, I was reading that the directors like they did everything they could to make sure that the even in the background actors are always doing something. There, uh, yeah. Upon second viewing, I mean, I'm catching things like the entire school is got like boner themed mascot that <laughs> it, it's so over the top and how uncaring the school is in regards to the raucous behavior of the students and, you know, all the overly sexed up and like overly caring about the sports and uh, making fun of a, a world that cares more about funding sports than anything else and stuff like that. There, there's some really good commentary and plus it's just genuinely hilarious. And I would love to take this opportunity to share that um, Marshawn Lynch, who is in this movie as a teacher, he's a football player. I don't care two shits about football. 
I only know this because my manager, who is even more excited about this movie, told me. He joined this movie in part as a way to uh, essentially like apologize and show that he had changed his views on queerness from whenever he had responded to his sibling coming out as queer. I think he had a sister that he rejected for being a lesbian or something. And this movie was like, he's made up with that. And he's like really trying to put a foot forward and show like, look, this chill. And he plays not a good character necessarily, but he is so on point with his improvised lines. It is just genuinely hilarious. Um, And I just thought it was really special to have that sentimental side of the story where, you know, to have that family touch where, you know, this dude's coming out of his realm of football to be in a queer coming of age high school queer comedy. um, I just thought that was a special thing I wanted to share. Nice. Yeah. And also just like a final thing about strays was that I just think about like the the dog acting and the, the mouths. It was like almost added to the like the surrealness in that sense. Like I know it's always the thing with those sorts of movies. But it's right. like genuinely it felt so so real. But then it's also like, wait, that's that's like Will Ferrell's voice coming out of a really well animated talking dog, which I know like isn't something necessarily exclusive for strays, but maybe the the sort of dissonance and that sounds negative, but like in in, in a good way between the that's a really well animated mouth, but it's still so clearly Will Ferrell is just added to the surreal nature of it. Yeah, it's all it's, and that's what I was thinking. I was worried it would lean way too hard in on Uncanny Valley, and I wasn't gonna yeah. like it. But it it didn't creep me out. I was like, this actually yeah. feels like a little dog talking shit and yipping its little mouth at me. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I suppose I mentioned that I hadn't really seen Jimmy Fox and things, but like, yeah, I mean, he was in Strays as one of the dogs. The movie I want to yeah. recommend to you with Jamie Fox is a movie that I have barred from my own viewing anymore because of how much of the cast has been brutally canceled for being horrible people. Oh, um, and so we won't dip into that, but I know Jamie Foxx has a movie that I think you'd probably adore. It's a great movie. Edgar Wright's fantastic, but it's a hard one to rewatch knowing the actor is a little bit better now. You know what I mean? Uh, our top 10 is interesting because like everything else throughout like a whole this is 23 2023 ranking is, is, is different but like number two and number three are like identical which is this is cool i um, think that's really fun yeah and so like at least personally numbers like six through ten are like just fantastic movies like a step above obviously anything else in the list but then like one through five it's like the the crumbs of the creme, so to say like just absolutely the best of the year properly but starting at number 10 like a bit lower than, than yours but barbie which was just magnificent was like the word that came to mind because like we went on holiday um like barbenheimer weekend was like the first weekend of our holiday so we didn't get to see things like immediately and then like we had like other films come out like blue beetle and tmnt and mission impossible but like Barbie was like the first one that we went to when we when we got back from holiday. We were catching up in August, and like you're just you're in like a packed cinema, and like you don't know what to expect. And what a, a the like, I actually rewatched it recently. Me too. Um, yeah, like I mean, like the acting, the story, the human, the human, the humor, the the heart, 
the so much heart and such an emotional thread at the end, which is again it's so silly but so emotional. And like I described it as like a chaotic fever dream, best way. And like again, in terms of like best musical scenes of the year, like I adore Julieper's music. So like the whole dance and night scene was just brilliant. I was like listening to that song on the way home and Michael Cera as Alan. And so uh, all, all, all of it, like the, the set design, and and it's really cool. When like recently, I watched um someone shared a recent video where it's like a series that a Variety apparently does called Actors and Actors, where actors interview each other, and it was like forty minutes long of Margot Robbie and Cillian Murphy talking to each other, which was like really cool and just so um cool to hear about like those two movies. And it sounds like it was such an awesome movie to make and go away. I haven't seen any of the other films, but I know that. Um, I've heard good things about like Little Women, and but um, but yeah, a, a very strong uh, way starting off the top ten. Next at number nine, I had Blue Beetle. This was one that, with in terms of like DC movies this year, like Shazam, I was excited for, but I knew it wasn't gonna be amazing. Flash is like I talked about Flash. Aquaman is yeah, I still I still want to see it. I know you have complicated things about it mostly negative but i still want to go and see it i'm sure it'd be fun but i'm sort of imagining it as like a similar vein to shazam too but like blue beetle was like the genuine like highlight of the like no caveats or anything just so much fun it was an awesome movie that it feels like one of those where again i think when we slightly lower than you but one of those where you hear lots of complaints like oh it's just another generic origin story like oh it's just it's bland and it's like i feel like there was enough there with like the the character of jaime and i, I should say by pretty completely mispronounced that but just like the like his character he, he was amazing as like jaime as, as blue beetle and if like there was enough like heart and family and character sort of injected into the the basic like origin story skeleton that actually felt like exciting and there's sort of a point that i made in my review that i i'm not like saying that like we should be like accepting the, the same sort of like generic stories or like defending any laziness but like I, I think by a certain point with these comic book movies this many years in especially with like origin movies you can only do it so many different ways it's like part of the reason that we come to these movies is because we want this sort of like superhero action fun like the the, the warmth of his family that was like included like the way it just it looked so amazing on the screen like it's one of those when we want those suits that um could have been like hit and miss and how it was like executed and it's i feel like Everything these days is just measured against like Mysterio from Spider-Man: Far From Home. It's like we got an incredible Mysterio, at least in my opinion, um, visually. And so it's like there's other the sky's the limit. I mean, obviously to an extent. I know you mentioned about Demo Dinosaur earlier, but um, yeah, it, I just it was like fantastic, and it was so fun to watch on a big screen. When you want to watch like a an epic superhero movie on on the big screen, this was just a lot of fun. And I feel like it runs into a similar problem with like the Marvels, where it's like the villain isn't like the best, but then as you were saying about like comic book, if you're just picking up a comic book, then it's like the the villain might not be the best, but you still can really enjoy it. And I know that it's sort of like tenuous, like where this stands continuity-wise with the, with the new DCU, but either way, I'm just 
excited to see more of him if we if we get it and if not then i'm just love it for what it is he's one of the few people that has been said to remain the same cast yeah see like that's what i heard but i don't know i feel like sometimes that's he, from he james gunn himself until... and james I, I know i know i know but so we'll see. i know i just yeah he, he changed his mind but True. yeah I would hope not, though, because this dude was like, yeah, I'd hope he not. is to Blue Beetle what I feel like Iman Vellani is to Kamala Khan. Yes. And the thing I was going to say, but I'll say because you talk about his family, I think that his family is one of the best things that happened to superhero media since Kamala Khan's family. Like, I just, I yeah. love that, yeah, that, that dynamic. I actually thought, well, maybe I had thought that comparison, but I didn't so, like, explicitly consider that comparison, but you're absolutely right. It's just they come oh, to I, mind immediately. Hmm. It's just they're surrounded by these loved ones that hold them both accountable, but also, you know, they don't coddle them as much as they yeah. could. You know, there was instances where, yes, the family wanted to say, Jaime, what are you doing? This is too dangerous. And yes, Kamala, this is too dangerous. But at the end of the day, it's still that dynamic of respect between family that is just something I didn't grow up with. So when I get to see mm-hmm. it done so beautifully in a movie like this um I, I i i can't help but really really appreciate it yeah and like about the suit i feel like sometimes it can be easy to sometimes lose the the, the whimsy when some um translating these suits into live action when you're making them very like cold and technical and it definitely has that sort of cold feel but in a in, in a good way that really works for like that she's sort of creepy almost like like body horror like very light on yeah, that but I mean, like whenever it's sort of leading towards that and like the especially. transformation scene yeah the transformation um, scenes were badass i think they're one of my favorite and the way that the suit comes and goes i just think it's cool as shit but i also just i, I like love it. the suit design it looks so badass and I, it was like i was wondering how they were going to bring it to the big screen because he does have a more intricate suit than some of the stuff we've seen with, I mean, mm. these extra arms and stuff, like, the only person we've seen with extra arms that I can think of like that is, in fact, Doc Ock. So, like, I thought it was just, like, really well done. Like you said, it's got this, like, it, it's sleek without being too sleek. It's body horror without being too body horror. It doesn't really, to me, look too much like any other suits. I think some people could really try and take a leap with that. But to them, I would say, who is Adam Smasher, if not Deadpool recolored? Um in black adam so uh, as far as suits go i i actually really really dig the suit in this movie yeah it feels tactile but still like the blue really pops and yeah. like even just looking at the poster i feel like it's just got a sense of like style from like the logo to carry throughout and like the music and you'd hope with all the thing everything that's set up with like the legacy of the blue beetle and then james kind of sort of like has seen that and decided that he wants to like fold that in um but yeah at number eight I had Asteroid City, and this was one that I was, like, tempted to check out earlier in the year when I first had it come out. It's like, oh, that looks interesting, and I've heard about, like, Wes Anderson's star, but I've never really seen any of their movies, apart from, like, very fantastic Mr. Fox when I was younger, and, and sort of didn't really realise what, what that was, or, like, the significance of and like his style um is that the only, was, the only two that you've seen then yes oh dude i know um so sufficient to say that yeah my mind was sort of blown by this in, in some senses i can't because, wait for you to watch grand budapest hotel dude i, I haven't know. seen asteroid city so i don't know how any of it compares i'm excited as hell to see it 
Um, but I, I'm, I can't believe that that, I, I, it's not that I can't believe it. I've gotten past the point of being like, oh, people should all have seen these things that I've seen. That's when I'm surprised we haven't gotten to registering that. Oh, you haven't seen those other movies, but I think you'd fucking love Grand Budapest Hotel. It's, it's one of those movies where like I finished it like not long before we recorded, so it was like, oh, oh my god, fuck, where do I like, how do I rank, how do I like rank this? If it was one of those things where it's not, you can't just like quickly like, oh yes, you're like, well, like, well, like when you come out of like a big blockbuster, you're like, oh yes, this can go like here and here, and you. You might still have time to like process your thoughts about it, but you sort of your, your emotions are a bit more like clear cut about it. Whereas here, it's like, oh, I that's that's a lot to process in terms of how like surreal it is, and like the I mean the, the all star cast is incredible. The way it's like shot and framed and filmed, and reading like a couple of articles about it afterwards, like oh my oh my god, that's like trying to help me like, appreciate it even more and. It was one of those movies where it was like, um, it was like like Chicken Run earlier, which I watched this morning. That was more of like a fun one. It's like, oh, I might just because I've seen the first one earlier in the year, it'll be fun to check it out. Whereas, whereas this one, it was like, if I wanted to watch another film, I wanted it to be something from this year. So my parents watched this with me, so I could talk about it and add it to a ranking. And I was like, oh, I, I think this has a good chance of, of getting like high up on my list. So, and yeah, it, it definitely did. Um, just wild. I'm ashamed I didn't see it. It should be more likely than not in my top 10. And I think that after talking about it all this much today, I'm going to have to try and watch it soon. But we got family visiting, so I'm like, when am I going to have time to watch this fucking movie finally? People can, people if, they, if they're interested, they can go check out their, uh, our letterbox uh, lists. I mean, but, I mean, by the time that this comes out, then you know, they should be like completely, should be no more, um, not many more we have to see. But... But yeah, what that that was wild. Uh, next at number seven, I had Oppenheimer because that that was one that I didn't quite catch in the cinema, so I, I was excited to I, like waiting to, for it to be on home release, and it didn't disappoint. I think my like main point about this, I mean, like, the Cillian Murphy is incredible, and there's, like, the stellar cast that's Lawrence Pugh, Robert Downey Jr., Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, etc., and uh, I love, like, Christopher Nolan, so to see something that's, so, like, uh, with, like, three-hour movies, like, with long movies, the discourse is always about, like, oh, are they worth it? Are they, they drag on? Like, all, all of that sorts of discourse, but I feel like it's, it went so fast, it, like, glided by, I was just, like, so like compelled and just invested but the time just melted away like that alone for a three-hour movie of like the very clear sort of structure of like the first hour second hour third hour and how it sort of all comes together how it's all paced and it's all laid out and how all the the threads are weaved together like no one likes to play play with different timelines and things those are trying to like process like different like events and and how it's all unfolding and how like Nolan's like, commitment to practical effects over pure CGI, like the cinematography in, in general, the sound design, the different like choices made. It felt like a movie that Nolan always really cares about making something that's very like very visually rich, exciting, and cinematic, and just sort of special that's going to be unique and a standout. And I think it's just another another hit here. And also also like just the different from 
each other, but all having that the same sorts of fun like elements and parts of his craft and yeah, because uh, it's like I think part of me was like trying to it wasn't something I was seriously considering but like part of me like it did cross my mind I was like is this is this gonna be dry at all or it's like no in, in absolutely no way it's such gravitas and atmosphere and, and number six I had Guardians of the Galaxy volume three I feel like I in a way I don't want to say like too much about this because we did like a full like two hour episode about this maybe a bit more than two hours talking about this film earlier in the year near its release you can go check out for our full thoughts about this but yeah this was such an in, such a poignant incredible conclusion to the trilogy and one at the time that i had not mixed feelings about because i knew that i loved it but it had a lot of thoughts to process about it where it's such a tragic and sad movie at times and like do like the plot itself and how it's like closing out the trilogy and the like the action involved but it still has that comedy that Gunn and the whole cast pulls off so nicely that's concluded here but it's a very sort of somber feel that has such like a sense of gravitas about it again that made me sort of think a bit more deeply about it but yeah uh, yeah I had a lot of thoughts about this and I, I wrote a really long review about it and we recorded a really long episode about it so go check those out if you are interested at number five i had john wick chapter four this was one where i before this year i had never seen any sort of john wick movies but i saw like the trailer for this in fact of other films not towards the start of the year because it came out at the end of march i was like okay that looks epic i really want to see it in the cinema because it looks so cinematic uh for lack of a better word it's like i'm gonna catch up on like the first three and go and see it and i feel like this was definitely a movie that really helped like seeing it at the cinema where like speaking of like blockbusters where you can have that that sense of again gravitas like in the cinema where like the, the sound is like booming out the speakers it's on a large screen and you just sort of feel the atmosphere that when I rewatched it at home, I still really enjoyed it, but I definitely like missed like seeing it in a in, in a nice cinema screen. But like yeah, I mean the action scenes are so gorgeously like choreographed and how they look cinematically like throughout this whole franchise, and it, it felt like everything I loved about all of, like the previous movies, it was just more of it here because it was like forty nine minutes or so longer than two or three but almost approaching three hours like the first was like an hour and a half and the two and three were about two hours and it just yeah it felt epic I mean Bill Skarsgård is the the villain it was really fun to see him there and if you I mean if you like like the previous movies I think you probably enjoyed this one as well I think it's a really fun franchise with I mean Keanu Reeves is just so great that's the sort of thing and I know some people when a fans of how sort of far fetched it went, far fetched it got as it went on, but that, that that's my thing. So I, I really enjoyed how it just sort of got like more more over the top, and so as it went on, and the before like much higher than than yours. But I'm excited to read. Sort of quick tangent. I know Descender is going to compendium next year, so I'm really excited to finally read that. I mean, the mayor and and Wynn are just incredible, and go read the monsters if you want some more by them. 
Jeffrey and Justin Wen. I need that to come that out series. Nice compendium. I need a completed edition of Little Monsters yeah. with tons of back matter. Please, guys, give it to me, oh. please. So, yeah, the, the creator was one that really connected with me. It was one where, and in like an era where I'm very like tuned into like movies and things. So like I'm, most films that I'm going to see, I've been excited for for a while. And I wish like which, which was nice on about some of the books on this list where as there was less lead time. But like with this one, I like read about it in a film magazine I read sometimes. I was like, oh, this this looks so interesting. This is like so my kind of thing. Hence why I decided to treat Descender as well. And I was like, okay, I've only just heard about this, but I really need to go and see it when it comes out. And I'll just synopsis quickly. Amid a future war between the human race and the forces of artificial intelligence, a hardened ex-special forces agent grieving the disappearance of his wife is recruited to hunt down and kill the creator, the elusive architect of advanced AI, who has developed a mysterious weapon of the power to end the war and mankind itself. And so yeah, like sci-fi robots, like future artificial all all my kind of thing. And around the same sorts of time, I saw Godzilla 2014, by, also by the same director, Gareth Edwards. And in, in terms of I've seen those, my boyfriend has talked a lot about how much she like enjoys Rogue One by the same director and their sort of style. And again, like seeing this at the cinema, it was on like a Sunday morning, it felt so grand and bold and exciting. And like the two main actors, it, it felt, I thought they did a great job and it felt like a raw and exciting and refreshing way to humanise the conflict and make sure we were so emotionally invested in it, how, like, in the opening scenes, we're sort of caught up with the opening shots of, the, of this war that's that's developed and this new status quo and uh, it really nicely set the mood and the tension and the atmosphere and just felt like a big, bold like a blockbuster, which is like, it looked beautiful, but it never loses sight of like the heart or the characters or like the as we keep saying like the emotion of it all but the whole like aesthetic of it was really you know it felt like clean and like so like so satisfying and like, conveying like the sci-fi technical bit of it and I felt like a nice comparison to something like Blade Runner 2049 where like Dennis Benu sorry I'd say that but that was very with the the, the colours. It, it's a very like gorgeous movie in a different way with like the like the oranges and the like, the reds and the different like, the pinks. It, it feels yeah. But then you get to something like the creator and it's like it same had that same finesse that's so I loved about that the same sort of delicate nature, but it makes it much more like visceral, very striking, and much more. Of like like the greys and the the realism of all and less on that the artistic feel of something like one of Dennis's movies like Dune and Arrival and Blade Runner and it didn't feel the sort of like realistic and grounded in the sense that some things that can go for that kind of feel like drab or bland which is something that I also enjoyed about Godzilla but it actually felt like stunning and it was really cool apparently when like making this really cut the cost of it because it was only 80 million which is like and it looks better than some of like the hundreds of million blockbusters and they talk about like shooting real environments real locations and overlaying the 
like all, all that the sci-fi effects and everything on top and I mean it's a score by the legendary Hans Zimmer and it's a climax ending and I just I love this. I thought it, it, it really earned that spot on my on my ranking. At number three, I had Godzilla minus one because oh my god, this was a movie that I thought I wouldn't be able to see, and then like more locations opened up. I was like, okay, I can go and see this, and it was so cool to. I, I'm desperate to go back and see Shin Godzilla, but like as an introduction to like. Toho Godzilla at all in a a packed cinema on like a Friday night and like the moment the moments when like Godzilla appears on the screen and you're like actively you're like holy fuck what the fuck is that because it's such a like visceral portrayal of the creature that again like I guess like similar to what I was saying about like the creator it feels so raw and like both like emotionally and both with like the effects of Godzilla and again like the amount that they achieved with like the budget they had it looks incredible and like the, the human drama that this here that's a point that come up that we we mentioned earlier that we come back to and boy holy shit <laughs> the emotion in like the story of the characters where it's sort of genuinely getting to spend so much time like digging into them and making us actually care to them and not just on like a surface level not just sort of briefly where there is like such a focus on the human characters but because it's so like well done you're so like just compelled and pulled into the story that when like Godzilla shows up and like they look absolutely stunning so like i can't reiterate that enough but like ugh, holy shit you, you want movies that will not just sort of like memorable but like it's really like blow you away like and as we sort of get like higher high up on this list you sort of get movies that are like really like fucking hell um my god yeah i'll weigh yeah. in now just because it, they're ranked the same in our list, and it just feels pointless to have us both talking yeah. silently to ourselves about it when we both have excitement for it. So it's yeah. my number three as well. And I I went in, I like you, I didn't expect to even be able to see this. I didn't know if we'd get an American release, and if we did, I didn't think that it would be anywhere that I'd be able to go just because typically I'm not able to see any movies in theaters unless I'm going to the theater that I work at where I can go for free. At best, I thought the other location that has double the screens might get it so I could go see it there. But whenever I found out the week that it was coming out here that we were getting it at my work, I was stoked. And then the day before it was available, my sister sent me a text. And my sister and brother-in-law are the biggest Godzilla fans I personally know. And she said, you need to see Godzilla Minus One in theaters as soon as possible. And said it was stellar, said it brought her to tears. I was like, okay, I sometimes need to take their opinions with a grain of salt, but they're usually really critical on Godzilla because they love Godzilla. And they're also usually really critical on stuff that I like otherwise, which can be kind of taxing. So I'm like, okay, well, if they're really enjoying it, I bet I probably will too. So that just furthered my hype. So I ended up going to a pretty sold-out matinee the next day, and... I've never cared for characters in any Godzilla movie more. Um, the heart of this story, wrapped in this p- 
PTSD and survivor's guilt tale of a young uh, kamikaze pilot who has abandoned his flight to unknowingly get attacked by Godzilla and watch all this devastation occur right after, well, leading up to and then following the dropping of both of the atomic bombs by the U.S. and Japan. So you see this man return from seeing something he never thought he'd ever see, a a genuine monster that is Godzilla, even if in this point Godzilla is smaller at that point in the movie. And he returns to just the most devastated depiction of Japan post-atomic bombs that I've seen other than the actual pictures themselves. Um, It hit every heartstring that I have. These characters meant so damn much to me. I was rooting for all of them to survive. I was rooting for all of them to find their own inner peace. Every ounce of this movie stunned the shit out of me. I never would have suspected that a Godzilla movie would make it in the top 10 of a year. Um, I love and adore Shin Godzilla. I don't know what movies came out that year with it. It might have made it had I seen it when it came out. So maybe that's why. But I I don't really care for the legendary Godzilla movie that Joe referenced uh, moments ago. But this, I mean, this is for it to land number three amongst all these other movies that it's next to. Um, I was joking with Joe how shameful it feels to me that a majority of my top 10 are intellectual property, but Godzilla is of those movies that are intellectual property on this top 10. I think it is like the most deserving of overlooking the fact that it is intellectual property. It was profoundly moving like no kaiju monster movie i have ever seen before um and on such a small budget compared to things like the flash where we were talking about the shoddy nonsense that they put in there compared to 15 million dollar budget from the toho company i mean and you wonder are the actors getting paid less who's getting paid less where or is it just not cost as much for various reasons that are just like you know based on the country where you're filming i don't know but i was so moved by this movie. I was just like in absolute tears by the end. It's just such a every scene is so like, visceral. Even like from the scenes of like the characters just trying to survive in there, like just the, cope, like, just cope. Yeah, like that the, time genuinely. That yeah. devastated house is after the war, and how it just gets all, how they sort of actually start to rebuild something, and then it's just all torn down again by this. It's a fucking lizard that storms through. You look at the grander metaphor. Godzilla has always been this symbol yeah. of atomic warfare. And you look at the devastation caused by the bomb. And then you look at the devastation caused by Godzilla. And you're like, one of these things is a monster. So how is the other thing not a monster? You know? it. it putting it right next to it. Within months on either side of the film. Within months to a year of the dropping of those bombs to have a huge beast like Godzilla come. And and I think that one of the highlights of this movie for me wasn't just the fact that I cared about the humans, but it was also the ingenuity by which the humans come together in this movie. This wasn't just, okay, cool. We're going to help the military take down Godzilla. This was dangerously grander than that. Um, Mm -hmm. You have people saying, we can't rely on the government to take care of this thing. We have to try and do this ourselves. We already faced this monster once 
and we've already tried to rebuild from the bombs. Now this monster is back again, and there's not a conscience on the other side of it. Um, not that there was much of a conscience dropping two atomic bombs, but just, like I said, that ingenuity of rallying all of these, you know, just essentially broken men to to rise up in in the aftermath of the war and in all of these regards it it is a poetry is what this movie is it's it's poetry man mm-hmm. yeah i think like that and maybe like the next the next one is one we could easily just talk so much more about if we, okay. if we didn't have to move on but moving on to our number two pick across the spider verse so because fucking good i wrote this like along with my number one pick um, was my, one of my longest reviews of the year, and it's one that I to me like a couple of like with the comic reviews and things. I'm often like leaving them sometimes for months, but like there was just so much to because I saw this in so much three times. I've over the past few years I've seen some films like twice. This is the first one I've seen in theaters three times. Like once was like literally seven days later, and then once and then third time was a month later. Just trying to like process all like all of it there's the like right from the the opening minutes it feels so like epic like the the recap of like like when like voicing the recap and how it's sort of anchored on her from the beginning and like how how well how like how beautiful like the different all worlds look from like the spider-man india as well to and like how like what spider-gun's watercolor world and just how like, amazing it all looks from like I mean spot like as it goes on it's fucking terrifying. Um, yeah, that like Sinkovich esque drawings of him. Yeah, from, like, and the two come later scenes. Uh, and how like I think the thing I like most about sequels to origin stories is that like the origin story like as I sort of alluded to with Blue Beetles or has to do the origin story, it gets a bit caught up in that. Where like even if it's even if it does it well, it's sort of really nice to see like the follow up when they're sort of loose of those like shackles and be like, right, you know the character, let's just get straight into it and not waste any time. And like Miles like feels it's sort of it's growing so much in terms of like maturity as a person, as like a teenager, as a superhero, how that's sort of contrasted and like reflected in all the different like Spider Man that show up here and his whole arc, like in the movie, and like the the animation is absolutely insane, and everything that was so beloved about Into is like a hundred times better here. That everything that's like packed in, all the different art styles, the how like vibrant, how much just so full of life, or the when they do like even like editor's notes things on the screen. It's just, just like the best thing, like even like that was one of my panel favorite borders things in the and scenes. First one, especially when it's whenever they were doing that, and I, I yeah. hate takes where I think on the digital and the, the DVD take, I think they took some of them out here or there, and I hate that because I love those moments. Anytime you can make a comic book movie feel more like I'm looking into a comic, the more excited yeah. I'm going to get. And you know, talking I mean, about like, the animation, if you've seen, I'm yeah. sure you have the breakdown of the frames that they had to use. And all the different layers of Hobie for Spider-Punk to get yeah. him to look the way he looked is just absolutely bonkers. But then on top of that, one of my favorite things about this movie is the thing that people probably 
be the most likely to try and fight about is the um, whether or not it's intentional or not. I don't fucking care. There's a trans allegory in Gwen's story, and it is so impactful that it brings me to tears just thinking about it. Um, the way her world especially is depicted, it doesn't help that her color scheme from those comics initially is already pretty much the trans pride flag, um, more or less on the color palette. Um, so to have it seep into the movie where, again, I'm not going to sit here and die on a hill that she is trans or she is not trans. The point is the allegory can work all the same, and the allegory did work. Um, and, you, you know, yeah, I, you talk I, about the heart, the conversations, these dynamics. You also just, like, unruly amounts of killer action sequences in this movie that were just like, holy shit. Yeah, and it's like everything from, like, the most boldest, brightest and most epic action sequences even like all that little details like without like the comic like comic book comes to life stuff where they even have like not the bam and the pal that all like actually on the screen which is just like just really sells it as like a complete package and how all the characters were were, were balanced where it's all it's still like firmly Miles' movie but like the spotlight that like Gwen got the the look at we saw there's still, like, so much of, like, uh, Hobie Spider-Punk, as you're saying, and um, Pavatar, Spider-Man India, who are basically, like, like, like the next most important characters after after Gwen, really. Um, and, like, the, the, their involvement in the story was so fun, and I, I feel like, like the couple of other, like, main points I had were the, I mean, the score, like, this, this is just absolutely glorious. Daniel He's one of those top listen to artists this year because of that score. Yeah, yeah. The score I mean, was great as was the soundtrack as well. Like, I think like I don't often, I very rarely like actually listen to to scores like after they, after the movie. I know that's some people that something that a lot more people are into, but like here actually, it almost make almost made me think of like um when you like don't properly appreciate like the coloring or lettering in a comic. It's like score of a movie it's you, you see so many movies and so many scores that you don't of, often like process it you doesn't take it for granted as like another aspect of the scene i mean which is ideal but when it like stands out as much as it did and just merges it all together i mean like spider gwen's theme is like the best one of the like most exciting things i've ever listened to the amount of like the joy that that, that theme gives me is just oh, it's it, it's absolutely glorious, and again, cover up a couple's counselling on their Patreon. They had a really cool interview with Daniel Pemberton. Where they were like, "Oh, we have a surprise guest from the movie," and you're probably like, "Oh, who's that?" And it's like, "Oh, it's," and especially after watching the movie, you're like, "Oh, that's actually really cool." And I mean, like, and how that all came together at the end. And like start a band, which just gave me, gives me such chills. I mean, seeing it like the first time, I mean, it like slightly lessened as it went on, but still so prominent. But like the first time I like, saw that like cliffhanger and the way the music like swelled up to that moment with like the song Start a Band was just, I was just like shaking by the end, like in my seat and then walking out of the movie to just absolutely just wiped out in terms of. Like, the anticipation, the tension, the build-up. Yeah, I, I'm with you there on all those themes and everything. I uh, 
you already know I have a special place for Spider Punk's theme, which I thought it was so cool to see Hobie come on to the into the scene of everything. I'm excited because I'd really love for Beyond to show us the punk world, especially with how it's been built up by Cody Ziggler and Justin Mason in the comics. Um, and I'm hoping that the synergy they're aiming for is let's keep Spider-Punk comics coming back out again, circa the time um, that uh, I ran out of breath because I just came back downstairs. <laughs> but um, circa the time Beyond the Spiders comes up, I'd love to see the Earth 138. I think it would be killer. Um, yeah, no I, I really, really, really loved it. I also was uh, just going to mention um, that feeling you get when you realize you've been in the movie for most of the movie and then all of a sudden it hits you that this movie has to be ending soon but the story has so far from wrapping up that it Mm -hmm. sinks in it's going to be a cliffhanger to the extent that it was and biggest cliffhanger since infinity war that's for goddamn sure and like what what was really cool about those like final scenes at the third act is on like further rewatches I kept forgetting, like, how much there was until, like, the actual cliffhanger, because yeah. because it ends yeah. on such a, like, because it doesn't end on such a clean note, you sort of get to a certain point in the movie where, like, you remember the action scene, and you're like, okay, well, we're, like, we're almost at the cliffhanger, and then there's more, and it's like, okay, but we're almost there, and you just keep forgetting, like, how many little moments. Yeah, there's there a lot in between the, the, the there, actual there. reveal. Which um, I, I love you brought that up because that is a great point that when I was watching it, uh, I've only seen it twice now because I watched it once when I got it digitally and then um, that way I could show my fiance finally and, and they were just enthralled too. Um, and one of the other things that I feel like we, we can't talk about this movie without talking about is just the sheer mass of spider characters. I mean, we have everything yeah. from PS1 Spider-Man to PS4 Spider-Man. Um, it's been out long enough. We can talk about uh Donald Glover showing up oh as Prowler in live That's action so form. We can talk about Andrew and Toby's showing up when they're talking about canon. Um, yes. And bullshit or one nine 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 whatever. Um, all uh, those tiny things that we wanted to record a whole episode about, right? Just because we were so stoked. Um, I was one one of the best things I, I thought. Um, how they really leaned into. Okay, we're going to show all these spiders, but we're going to make sure they're stylized so much differently. Like, they lean yeah. into it so much harder this one than they even did in the first one. Because, like, Penny does not look like she's animated the same way. But everyone in this one, because I think the sheer mass amounts of people, that you just can't escape. Holy shit, there are so many different art styles in play. I really love the way that they had Ben Riley drawn, especially in, like, that borderline mm. Liefeld style almost where it's like overly buff 90s broody boy and then of course you know i already talked about hobie enough i don't need to spend the whole time on hobie but i want to um and like um sorry just saying andy sandberg like briefly as ben riley was just perfect i didn't realize that's who that was yeah just said that it was like briefly announced and well because it's like i think uh, well because like i I read that he was going to be in it briefly but then even when like he, he first appeared, I didn't like properly twig at first that it was him, and then I suddenly realized I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's amazing. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anything saying that it was him, so I didn't know it was him. I don't think I ever saw that he was going to be in the movie. 
I don't think I ever knew anything about that. So this is like literally me learning that. And I'm so excited to watch it again and hear it and be like, oh, wait, that is Andy Samberg. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I know last point was that I know that the the ending has naturally divided people and the whole like part one of it all, which also comes up again in my number one pick. But I, I, I feel like, I mean, maybe this would have changed depending on when Beyond comes out, but I feel like the part one aspect, the ending, was only to like maybe strength rather than its detriment to me. And again, maybe I'm maybe that's just my perspective because I knew it was coming. Um, well, I, I didn't know it was coming per se, but I sort of inferred that it was coming because I mean because they'd taken out the part one and the part two from the title. I assume that meant that they took it out yeah. of the movie too, but no. I mean. I mean, like, it's so hard to explain, because obviously, like, sitting in the movie theatre, I was still like, oh, shit. But then once it happened, I was like, actually, yeah, that's uh, that's not too much of a surprise. But, I mean, uh, yeah, like, even, like, with that, I just absolutely adored it. I feel like it stands on its own, like, exceptionally well as a movie. Um, it would be sound dramatic to say I'd fight people off that, but I feel, like, strongly about that. I'd fight people over both of these movies. That's why I don't talk to people who don't like these movies. <laughs> they're just so good. It's so like I they're better than the live action Spider Man movies too. So it's like it's so hard for me to see the people that are like especially because while it's not all of them, the ones that are like Miles isn't Spider Man. Get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. If you made it this far in this podcast, if you've somehow been listening to us for however long you've been listening to this podcast, and you're one of those people that thinks that Miles Morales isn't Spider-Man, you can eat a brick of shit. That, I, I couldn't believe that that argument came back up. I thought we were done with it, but as I remember that. As soon as the movie hit theaters, people were back on their bullshit. Those folks can absolutely go fuck themselves enjoy the live actions complain about the live actions too whatever you want to do but don't come here and bring this stupid race game into spider-man all these years later i feel like the discourse should have evolved by now i know this is slightly a tangent but like that is one of the Mm -hmm. bigger things i see people always going to when they have anything negative to say is there the people that don't like miles because miles is just a black kid He's a black kid, and that's their problem. Let's just be honest. Because they don't mind that Ben Riley is also Spider-Man. They didn't mind that Ben Riley was also Spider-Man. That was fine in the 90s. They loved Ben Riley, But they, it matters now because it's a black kid that's Spider-Man. So if there's one last thing I say on this movie, it's that Miles is becoming more and more of my Spider-Man than Peter was. And oh, yeah. I grew up on Peter Parker. I grew up one of the first comics I owned and one of the, my most read comics growing up was a marvel milestones edition of amazing spider-man number one like i felt every connection to peter parker i could have but then fortunately i came into a point in my life where i got the proper exposure to miles and i realized that i connect with miles probably a lot more than i connect with peter and it's because we grew up in a more similar time and i think that like 
that's one of the things that this movie does is like it, it, it embodies the idea that Stanley set out that anybody, anybody can be behind the spider mask. And that's what this freaking brilliant array of spider characters, hundreds of different characters. I mean, we have our first disabled spider character made it from page to screen like that. How cool is that? Sun Spider, Charlotte Weber, just and they not only did they include her in the movie, but they even gave her an upgrade to her suit. In that they literally gave her uh, mobility aids more than just having her crutches that she uses while she's fighting and and flipping around. But she also has the wheelchair, which is just like so profound for the sake of like, is it is it just representation for the sake of representation or does it actually mean something? And I think in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, it means something even more than it meant in Into the Spider-Verse. Because that was a movie where it was like, wait, I'm Spider-Man. But this movie that core component of it is that he wasn't supposed to be spider-man so i feel like this movie directly talks to the shit stains that have a problem with these two movies and said hey this dude is spider-man he's got his own story and he's here to tell it and i I, it, it it's one of those things i always try and like sandbag myself when i share love for spider-man movies because spider-man is so important to me but there's just no hiding it with Across the Spider-Verse and Into the Spider-Verse. Both of them are, to me, utter perfection. Yeah. So, at number one, I had Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. And, like, I feel like both this and Spider-Verse just completely rocked me in terms of, like, to pick out two films. I mean, like... Godzilla minus one, like that's in, that's in phenomenal as as it is. But the fact that they managed to get like third place this late in the year and just to like blast through everything else that we watched, as we mentioned, and like probably like the closest that I came to like these movie these two movies. But <laughs> again, like with um, Spider Verse and like Guardians, those sorts of films, this is one where it's one of my longest reviews this year. So if you want more public coherence or ex- extensive uh, uh, rundown of my thoughts on it, then you can go check it out on my letterbox. But for like a summary, it was also the longest of the franchise, a bit like John Wick 4, almost approaching three hours when they tend to be like two, two and a half hours. And it just felt like there was just more of everything that I loved again when there was so much packed into here that ultimately at the end of the day these movies are just so at their best they're just so exciting they like <laughs> as much as i loved like oppenheimer and like guardians which are much more like somber and like artfully done it's just something about just a big bold loud exciting blockbuster that just really doesn't like knocks me out and i think it was like especially exciting for me with this one because it was the the first one I was able to see like in the cinema. It was like Mission Impossible Fallout in twenty eighteen. I think we watched it like New Year's twenty eighteen was like the first of the series that I watched. And so then I worked back and eventually watched all the others. And like until this particular one, like that was my favorite but i think that this just like completely took it over because like i mean like the stunts i know that quite rightfully tom cruise is like far from 
the, the best person to, to put it very lightly and to completely understate it. But the the stunts that he pulls off in his movies, and that's not excusing it, but just to, just 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 insane. I mean, like the way that in this one, especially like seeing it in the cinema when he you might know if you've seen the trailer when he like motorcycles off the cliff and then like the silence in the movie the silence in the theater and just something so gripping and special about that i mean Haley atwell is in this one and there's a whole like extended sequence later on which i was on the edge of my seat for and the i mean like speaking of like my love for like artificial intelligence and those sorts of science fictiony themes that came up with that movie he faces a very like uh ai villain here called just called the entity which couldn't be more relevant these days and like artificial intelligence in, in the real world it's championed by uh, an arsehole of a person in the, in the story um but he plays a, a great villain it's just so rich and thrilling and entertaining and how it's it, at one point in my review i i like say how I, I read an article from screen rant like yeah and say what you will about screen rant but how they sort of mentioned how the movies sort of pulls together elements of the different other movies in the franchise like the tropes the scenes the ideas the villains the the amount of characters that's like new and old like his old friends and allies and some new ones that we get interested introduced to here it feels like it very thematically fitting for the idea of like the ai um like piecing things together and and just like keeping one step ahead of them and being such a formidable and like unknowable and modern fortunately um like vil- antagonist and villain that sort of just playing it on in one big glorious blender in one hell of a movie as i say in that review and yeah i really like as well how it moves back to the more like heist movie type like aspects of, of the series which is one of the things that i i loved about it by hands sort of process i was like oh yeah that, so i sort of mentioned it i was like oh yeah compared to like rogue nation and ghost protocol which are much more like nuclear based which i love but there's sort of takes such a a needed sharp turn from like the initial movies um these like modern ones do so to, so to have something that's feels like such a a combination of everything like a celebration of it all that's it's so bold and again in that um film magazine where i found out about the creator um they had to think about mission impossible a feature and the uh, quotes from the director chris mcquarrie and tom cruise they're like because they work together on a few of these when they like finish one they're like okay how are we going to go bigger and bolder and better next time and it's like i mean they absolutely exceeded on like upping the bar somehow from fallout and somehow they're going to do it again when when part two eventually comes out that's going to be even more exciting and action-packed and like dramatic and intense and it's one of those things when like realistically there this it's like it's so different in spite of us that like i could just they are practically both my number one picks of the year because like it's it's hard to compare them it's like one's like a superhero movie one's just like from a franchise that i just adore and it's like i love them i adore them both so much in different ways but for the purposes of like the ranking as like, i had to and it's like it just marginally ekes out over it because i was 
I'm really excited, really excited for this, and it was such a joy. And it's like, is it is it a better part one than Spider Verse? Because I think that was the question that like you you posed to me, and it's like I I have no idea. I I can't say that. I think maybe that would be something that will become clearer when both have their part twos and both. Even though I feel like they're both incredibly satisfying and fulfilling stories on their own, that like maybe what one will like retroactively come out as a as a clear winner in terms of like that category. Who knows? But time will like, tell, right? <laughs> yeah, like similarly uh, to I, I feel like it almost ties back to like the Falcon with the Soldier. Think about the pacing of the TV shows all these hours ago. When it's like it ends on a big climactic third act like action scene, and when when you have like these sorts of part ones, you don't know like exactly where it's going to end. But then it's all like the way it ends. It feels like I could have with like Spider Verse. I felt like it's all built to a crescendo, and was was like okay, that feels like a an ending, and I'm ready to like go to see another one. Whereas because there was like a big action scene at the end of it, like Dead Reckoning. And then there was like sort of the, like a brief aftermath of that. It, it felt like it was almost um, like things had calmed down again, and I could just, I could have sat there and watched another two three hours, watched part two there, oh, um, like you. in like in like the best way. Best so it's one. like it felt like it could have just continued, but not in like a negative way. It still felt fulfilling, but I just thought that was a really interesting difference. And um, you know, like building up to a crescendo, whereas building up to just like an ending. Um, but yeah. And like the, the theme song, just again, we're talking about music, like the Spider Gwen theme, talking about music that makes me like so fucking hyped, um, uh, energized. Is that the Mission Impossible theme song? It's just, oh, yeah. Never seen glorious. one all the way through, but I love the theme song. It's the best part of working in the movie when that movie was coming out was not that everybody was telling me I needed to watch all seven movies, but was <laughs> the fact that people, uh, you know, no matter what the movie was at, I'd walk by and one of the theaters showing it would likely have the theme song playing at mm. some point. And it was just really fun because I love that theme song. It's one that I've loved. And I always thought I'd love the Mission Impossible movies. And then I just never checked them out growing up. And then yeah. eventually I learned enough about Tom Cruise that I was like, yeah, I don't want to start getting excited for movies with him. So I just didn't let myself yeah. get into them. But I, I've heard yeah, nothing but good um, things about the new one. People were absolutely raving about it. Yeah, I think it didn't do amazing at box office. I think it might have got definitely got overshadowed by like Barbie and Oppenheimer and and things because it came out like a similar sort of before, time in the summer. Yeah. yeah, which is unfortunate. But um, I, I don't know. It was busy as hell at the theater that I worked at. I always think it's yeah, interesting, interesting. To box office numbers because. Then I see yeah. what I experience working in the theater, and what I experience in the theater is I always take uh, a lot more to heart than box office That's numbers. Good. People and were I'm showing up. That. People were showing up in mass for that movie. I will say that um, of the audiences that I've had to clean up after, Mission Impossible are the messiest people that are not children <laughs> movie goers. Um, I don't know if it was just that riveting of a movie, like you said, with the stunt scenes where people were genuinely like jumping up and throwing their popcorn and candy and stuff at the sight of him flying off of the cliff on the motorcycle or what. But that is one thing that I did notice is that that crowd was especially messy. Don't know what it says about them other than that they were messy. (laughs) And it's like you mentioned about like the movies leading up to this. Like six or seven, and it was so fun to like 
get to because I, I, I just did a complete watch through like the whole franchise before this because like two we like I tried like with my family and we didn't finish and then three I'd never seen and so it was just fun to like go through them and do like a proper ranking and everything so that was how it was fun yeah. over the over the summer and things before I got to see it but yeah it's fun finding somebody think... so enthusiastic because I don't know anybody that's a bigger fan right of yeah than you genuinely and I, I love your enthusiasm for him so it's fun even though I don't personally uh, partake in them it's just exciting to listen to you talk about them with such uh, I mean, love and passion I mean like I, mean, I mentioned um like talking about like detective mirrors and things and sort of like unraveling the mystery and it's something that like knives out really like scratched such an itch I didn't even know I had and it yeah. was like a similar thing with like heist movies that I discovered where yeah <laughs> like how it's all like watching fallout and how it all like unravels and like where it goes and when they just like i remember like especially with those movies like it was my first time and just sort of being like confused you're just sort of like soaking in the the adventure you're not entirely sure what's happening and eventually there's like a scene where it's all revealed and then my friends are like hey you just like hold out and then when it's like revealed i'm like mind blown just mind fucking blown. right no um oh yeah awesome anyway well my top 10 will be easier to go through because we've talked about most of them. Um, starting off, number 10, I uh, I put Mario. I couldn't have been more surprised. I was worried with the Chris Pratt. I was like, I don't think I'm going to like listening to his voice this whole time. Um, but it looked so fun. It looked so fun. And this is another one that when me and my fiance finally got to see it, we just had such a blast watching it that it, it really did keep this number 10 place on my list. Um, number nine was the Marvels. Uh, I absolutely adored it. Um, best musical cue of the year goes to Memory from Cats playing during the Flurgan escape scheme. Um, Amazing. It was glorious. I was cackling like a fucking ham. Um, number eight is fun because I actually get to talk about a movie that we haven't discussed. Um, Infinity Pool. This one came out. And I wasn't sure what the hell it was about. I kept seeing the trailers, and I didn't really like the trailers, so I didn't pay any mind to it. But somebody told me that it was really good, said it was really fascinating, too. And it was somebody at work that I talked to, and I was like, you know what, I'll take his suggestion. I went home, and I watched it, and it blew me away. This movie is twisted. It is the mere concept. Let me read it and see what it tells you, because I just don't know what the synopsis even says anymore. While staying at an isolated island resort, James and M are enjoying where did it go? Damn it. Enjoying a perfect vacation of pristine beaches, exceptional staff, and soaking up the sun. But guided by the seductive and mysterious Gabby, they venture outside the resort grounds and find themselves in a culture filled with violence, hedonism, and untold horror. That does no justice to what this movie is. This couple goes to an island. It's an island that is more or less here to serve as commentary on tourism in native lands like Hawaii, for instance. This is a country that is so removed from the world that the only place you can go to visit it is this resort that they're at. And everything else, you're not even supposed to leave the resort premises because of how dangerous it is for for non-native people. Because these resort people come and they just live up life. Like it talks about hedonism. The concept of Infinity Pool, though, is... They can, they in this country, if you commit a crime that they deem punishable by murder, it is a process of somehow 
it's different for people that aren't native. So if you're from a different country and you're visiting, instead of having what would typically happen, which is cool, you killed somebody, somebody in their family gets to kill you. And that is like how you end up dying. For the American folks or wherever these folks are from, these tourists, whenever they commit these heinous crimes, international law protects them from being murdered. So what they do is they make a body double of the person and watch you watch yourself get killed. The body double holds all of your memories and believes it's you, but the real you is literally stuck sitting on stands watching whoever has to punish you, punish you for whatever it was you did. And that's the world that is set up in this movie. What happens to what characters, who characters, that's for you all to find out. But the mere concept is so fucking crazy. It is, it's batshit man it is batshit crazy and i don't use that word lightly i was just talking yesterday that i specifically stopped using crazy in relation to things and then it slipped out because of just how bonkers this movie is um it is not for the faint of heart it is very very intense even when it isn't especially gory all of the time and it has hands down one of the weirdest nude scenes i have and maybe will ever see in my entire life um Hmm. and that that's worth notating strictly for the time that you eventually watch this movie, Joel, Joe. And I get to say, hey, remember that scene where you can't unsee it? You're welcome. Um, but that brings me to number seven, which is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And I'm going to keep it short. I loved it. I adore it. It was a perfect send-off for James Gunn and the Guardians. Um, fantastic soundtrack, as always. Uh, nothing negative to say about this movie. I genuinely felt it was perfect. Um, the fact that it's number seven... Versus number, you know, three or four. There's reasons we'll get to, I'm sure. But ultimately, uh, I, I fucking loved Guardians of the Galaxy. I've always loved those movies, and I thought this was a very emotional and impactful send-off. Uh, number six, like we said, definitely higher than you had Ninja Turtles ranked. But this, I grew up on Ninja Turtles and Spider-Man. So the two go hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, the fact that this one was so much separated from Spider-Man is because there was more impactful messaging throughout spider-man i felt than there was in ninja turtles ninja turtles was really 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 fun no complaints about it i just felt like one of them talked more about themes than the other one one of them was like you said falls into the origin versus showing you know these characters doing something of more greater depth um but i loved it the music was killer uh the the thing it's funny i had my mic muted i was talking about it in response to you earlier on accident but the 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 musical cue in this one that i especially appreciated uh, along with no diggity was um uh what's going on during the car chase scene when they're all singing Mm. and then it gets it cuts from uh, static to dynamic where it goes, it's playing in the car to just, it's playing for the background of the mu- movie. Right, of the yeah, I cool. love that change. Um, and the real deal of this movie is um, getting to clean theaters to, can I kick it by tribe uh, tribe called quest uh, for a good month or two while I was in theaters. Um, the one that made it into my top songs this year. And I will say this for guardians as well, but uh uh, De La Soul, uh, uh, I think it's De La Soul and Del the Funky. Uh, no, I think it might just be De La Soul. I can't quite remember now. I'm losing it, but it's I Know by on this soundtrack. It's fantastic. Um, and on Guardians of the Galaxy, my number one song of the year is uh, We Care A Lot from one of the most badass slow-mo perp walks you'll ever see in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, Faith No More, such a badass song, a killer opening, and it was perfect for that walk. Um, number five, Blue Beetle. I sat down in the theaters when I was watching this. I was one of three people. There was an older couple that was sitting the row in front of me off to the side, and I was delighted that they were enjoying themselves as much as I was because every time I felt self-conscious about laughing out loud or gasping or letting out like a what, like no, stuff like that, like, you know, the, when they catch you, they catch you. Like, these people were having the same reactions that I was, and I I loved it. I was genuinely leaving that theater. I was like, did I just have more fun than I had in Spider-Man? Or is it just the mm-hmm. fact that I was slightly nervous that they could mess this up, that I'm just, like, over the moon? Um, I think it is perfect. Um, I, mm-hmm. I would like to add to it the stuff that... Um, you kind of touched on of like, you know, we've seen a lot of these things before. There's two specific comparisons that I've seen made to this movie. One of them I made myself. The other has been made very harshly online, and I don't agree with it. Um, but I think that the movies that I've seen people compare it to, I think it does what it does better than those two movies. And I'm not going to name the movies because I refuse to let people dig into it. Um, if you want to, I think I mentioned it on my letterbox. Um, number four is Barbie. Uh, Barbie's up this high because it, you know, growing up as a kid that played with Barbies instead of GI Joes, or used my GI Joes to play Barbie with my cousin instead of using my mm-hmm. GI Joes to play war with my boy cousin, you know, something like this. I was excited for because I was like, this will be fun. I thought that ironically it would be really fun. I didn't know that it was going to be so culturally significant. Um, mm-hmm. It's all the praise for this movie is completely deserved all around. Um, I'm also not familiar with Greta Gerwig outside of this movie that I can recall. Um, but I, I admire the hell out of every last bit of work she did for this, um, including putting an, us to a nationwide shortage of pink paint. Um, I think that's fantastic. I think that every element of this film was fantastic. The staging, the cinematography, the acting, it was just a blast and getting to rewatch it recently was so much fun um, because they had the slightly extended scenes where there's like a couple jokes that weren't in the version that I saw in theaters that were there when they re-released it. Um, so I thought that was cool to see a couple extra giggles here or there. And then I'm just Ken. We can't end this without talking about I'm just Ken. Um, I know. They just released the Ken EP, which is just different edits of I'm just Ken. And I thought that was kind of funny to check out yesterday, but um. Number three and two, I won't say anything new about because we already talked about Godzilla and Spider-Man in mass. We really, really covered those two movies, and I think it's with good cause. That said, we come to the moment that I've been waiting to sandbag since I made this list and put it on this list. My number one movie of the year came out in 1984, my friends. My number one movie of the year stars the one and only David Byrne of The Talking Heads. That's right, my friends. Stop Making Sense, the remastered re-release of the 1984 concert film, uh, catching the most iconic suit to ever be worn on stage, David Byrne's extra-large suit. This, This movie means a lot to me for a bajillion reasons and i couldn't be happier to have a platform to talk about it because it did technically release this year as a remastered cut and i know that that may be what it is i've seen this movie i've seen it multiple times i've watched this concert at home on various tv screens of various sizes 
I know this album like the back of my hand. It's the first Talking Heads record that I owned. It's my favorite Talking Heads record that I own because it has so many of the songs across records. And because it's live and there's so much energy in how they perform each and every song that makes it so unique to this performance that if I hear that version versus another version, I can usually pick up on it. I might not be able to tell you the difference between a 2005 remaster and the 1997 and 1977 version of Psycho Killer. But I can tell you when the Stop Making Sense version of Psycho Killer is playing because this movie opens up on a barren stage empty of all people all things david byrne comes out with a jukebox sets it down hits the track there's a little metronome going he says i'd like to play a little song for you here hits play and strumming along for psycho killer slowly but surely song by song more of the band comes onto the stage until by the end you have this full what looks like a goddamn family of musicians dancing singing living up on stage and the thing I want to speak on the most, I'll say this. This is from a uh, – I'm going to quote this from an article because I found this article and it moved the hell out of me. Um, this article is – where is your name? Rain Petir. Rain Petri maybe from Little White Lies. And it talks about this whole idea behind the name Stop Making Sense, which is both a line in the song Girlfriend is Better – um, but also the title of this movie. And this article so elegantly states, the title Stop Making Sense is David Byrne's plea to you as a viewer to not make yourself palatable to the social norms of a holistic society and to instead choose happiness by unmasking and freeing yourself. That's right, folks. David Byrne is my autistic idol. And um, my God, if this movie is not the embodiment of being autistic – he comes out, he's by himself, he feels like he's this crazy person, he can't speak, can't seem to face up to the facts, he's tense and nervous and he can't relax. Slowly but surely people come in and he's got all these weird movements, these dances, he's very abnormal, he's having a hard time connecting with people via the lyrics of these songs. By the end of this movie, he is fully, you know, sense has stopped, there's no more making sense it is full freedom to stem, to be autistic, to take up space, to just exist fully as yourself. And it says, as David, as Burns sweetly stated to a fan asking about his autistic identity, we all don't have to be the same. And Stop Making Sense is just this, it's, it's a damn good concert, it's great music, but the deeper meaning behind this performance of finding a way to fit in and trying to make yourself seem like everybody else that you're seeing in the world and failing so miserably that you just have to, you know, everyone wants to explode literally in the lyrics of the song. It's, it is neurodivergence uh, in a concert form. And that is why, even though it technically came out years before I was even conceived uh, stop making sense made its way to the big screen and all i put in my review is that it is without question the most fun i have ever had in a movie theater ever that tops every birthday i ever had at a movie theater any favorite movie i've ever seen it it transcended the movie going experience for me in a way that was like no other and uh, I wish that everyone could feel the way that I feel when watching Stop Making Sense. Wow. I love how in like intensely personal 
are like top top picks. Uh, like, I mean, Fine. especially like yours, like such an emotionally poignant note to to end on. Like so many movies which are like fun and enjoyable when they like actually mean something to you as well. I think that's just yeah, obviously the best thing. So it special. really is. And, you know, this movie was full of a lot of stuff. I saw some great movies from last year that I missed out on. I watched quite a bit of movies from last year that I had missed out on that I ended up thoroughly enjoying. Um, and I hope that with 2024, I can maybe maintain this job at a movie theater and uh, keep seeing movies for free. Because I, I love to keep staying this in tune with movies. Um, for the longest time, I hadn't been able to see any movies. And they were like a, a huge driving force for me um, growing up. Movies were the big special interest comics had started but you know once comics were you know coming and going movies were always there for me so it, as funny as i think it is that this comic podcast managed to go this much longer talking about movies and tv shows than comics um there is something special about getting the chance to recognize all these movies that you know for better or worse we spent a lot of time with this year you know yeah and similar to the the talkies episode and the last comments episode if you made it this far you get a, a special achievement but um okay. where we get to be deeply personal as we wrap this up but i think that's something that i've really touched on and really discovered over the past two years since i started university in terms of like cinemas in particular or movie theaters whatever you want to want to say but in the sense of like growing up i was like taken like to the cinema like now and again um by like by my parents and in case anyone was wondering, uh, the first time I saw the cinema was B movie. I love that. I saw that from my incredible birthday. Choice. I was with a um, people from my birthday party, and I was shining a laser pointer on the screen right as the movie was getting ready to start. And some guy in the front row yelled, "Turn off the light, jackass!" And like a theater full of little kids started like busting up laughing because a grown ass man just screamed a curse word in front of us. Oh my god! I think and, I was um, ten, so let that age. Huh. And then, um, like, once I probably started getting into, like, the MCU, only, in, only by 2017, which it's forever ago now, feels like. But in terms of, like, the MCU, it feels pretty late. But anyway, so but it was always, like, like with my parents or, like, with someone. But then, like, having that revelation when I went to uni and because, like, it was, it's like a half an hour walk into town, which sounds like, I mean, it always sounds to me like a lot, but it, it's quite a simple walk and it's quite a nice walk. So just that having that like, having that accessibility to like go into town and then even like at home when like I, I can I can just like drive to the to the cinema nearby, which is pretty close, and like starting to just like go to see like movies like on my own and having that like breakthrough. It's like oh yeah, it's like that is the thing I can do. I can just and like even at home when I'm like at home with my family, I can just. Like when I did Godzilla, I just like drove to the theater on a like a Friday night, which is something I don't ever really do. I, I don't really like go out um um like on my own or whether. So I don't know. It, it was just uh, and it's been like so many times like this year. I think I need to see all these like crazy movies, even anything from like like D and D or Redfield or Cooking Bear, like or even like superhero films as well. Obviously, we're just like just having such a fun fucking time and just being yeah. I don't know. I love. Uh, I'm going to like, really love the cinema. I know that, um, like these days, some people are like, "Oh, everything comes to streaming so quickly, and like home on demand so quickly, and you don't have people rustling and like 
oh, oh this that and the other and I was like no I just at the end of the day there's still something so special to me about cinema maybe that that's still what eventually wear off but like at, at the moment I still just love like going to the cinema and actually like experiencing a film like that and actually being able to pinpoint like a couple of films that I enjoyed in the cinema but I slightly lost their luster when I watched them at home because it just wasn't the same it been as much as I liked them right but, yeah that's my that's my whole spiel at the end here while we're doing a little sentimental wrap up, I'll just say like for me growing up, it was a every Friday night from the point that I was old enough, we would go see a movie on Friday nights, no matter what it was. New movies out Friday nights, huh. we were at the theaters with the family. We'd go get dinner, we'd go see a movie. Didn't have a lot of money to do other stuff, but we did go see movies as a family every week, pretty much. Eventually that died down and I started going to the movies with friends instead of family. And eventually I started to have no friends to go to the movies with because timing and scheduling and interest being different and stuff like that. So it wasn't until La La Land, that was the first movie I saw in theaters by myself. And that was a transcending experience for me. Um, I love that movie for what it is, but I also love that movie because it reinvigorated my love of, you you know, cinema, like you're saying here. Um, because I learned this doesn't just have to be a place to come together with people and enjoy something, but that I can be here by myself in an empty theater or a crowded theater and still just have a magical time. And sometimes an even better time because I'm not skewed by what other people think about the movie. I don't leave a movie and immediately talk to somebody who is more critical of it than I am that opens my eyes to things that I too am critical of now that I'm aware of them. Stuff like that. So to have a chance to just go and see movies like this, I mean, this year really helped me get back into seeing movies regularly, watching movies more regularly. I watch movies that I would have not watched if not for the sake that I wanted to rank as many movies from this year as possible. There's movies (laughs) I didn't talk about this year that I would have probably not watched had I not been wanting to just watch movies from this year. Um, And there's some stinkers that we missed out on talking about. I'm glad we didn't talk about my bottom eight because most of them are not very good. Um, The bottom three especially. (laughs) But, like, that's the fun is, like, now I'm even finding joy in watching a movie that I don't even like so that I can still just be like, hey, I watched something. And it was still fun to just watch something because even, like, the second worst movie on here, which I thought could have been written by AI – was still borderline enjoyable for the sake of Mm. it was a movie. It was taking my brain away from day-to-day things. Even if I didn't think it was the best written or whatever, it was still something to do. Um, Mm. And thankfully, I know that it was people behind it, so I don't have to worry about giving into a world where AI content is palatable even remotely. Um, But it's just, it is, there is this special feeling about going back into a theater and singing. The the chatter walking down the hallways as everyone's throwing away their popcorn and talking about how they enjoyed this version versus, you know, if it's a remake or a sequel or whatever, or it's a brand new movie or it asks a huge question that people didn't think about. Or maybe there was just that one scene that you just were waiting for the credits to roll so you could talk about. And you don't have to take it all in and hear every conversation that's happening. But there is just something about being there with other people and saying, I don't have to agree with any of these people that I'm sitting amongst, but we're all mm-hmm. sitting down for a movie. And there's something magical about that because it's it's shared storytelling on um, one of the greater scales that we can really experience with each other. I mean, like live music, I think, is one of the biggest 
um, because of how big a crowd you can get. But I mean, with a with a theater, you get you and theaters around the world. You know, your showtime, every other showtime that happened, you're right there with those people. You're seeing that movie, and it's just exciting. Yeah, I think that is also what was so exciting about Godzilla. In a way, it got me thinking towards the end of you saying there. Because it's like with most movies, when they have such a a decent and packed like theatrical run, then people are just sort of like in and out. Like those people will see them over the course of the run, like in, in your area alone. When something like Godzilla minus one, that I know it's like, it, I mean, I mean, I know it's in America. It's it's um run has been extended, like like just keeps getting extended. And then like over here, that alone here, I don't know how how many showings it will be. But just like being like there in my local cinema, and like the first night it was here, right? One of like the, one of like the only showings that that cinema will show because maybe like a handful. Um, and it's like it, there's a very likely possibility that like ninety percent of the people in this area that want to see this movie are like packed into their screen because it was like packed. I when I got there because I was I was in the middle of a row when I got there. Um, I, I was like an empty row. It was just me, and then like eventually doing like the trailers and ads and things, the whole row filled in, and like the whole screen filled in, and it was just yeah. As a a final note, I uh, feel the urge to just share in my almost half of the year that I was working at the movie theater, um, I didn't get to see this movie, but I just I've not. We're talking about the magic of the movies, Joe, and. The most magical experience I've had working at this movie theater has actually been for a movie that I still haven't seen called The Holdovers. Um, In my time, almost five months working at this theater, I've asked countless people how the movie was. And on any given theater opening night of a movie, the average people, you know, I get maybe one to two people telling me actually what they thought. The rest of the people just kind of look and walk on. I have not had a single movie with higher praise and more people praising it than The Holdovers. This is a movie that I I just I, it's been a joy to work at the theater for because every week since that first week it was there, I've heard nothing but the absolute best reviews of any movie I heard for the entire year and further, everyone was so eager to share that they loved it. And that's just something you don't get if you're not seeing it in the theaters. I was standing there, leaving the closet, getting ready to go clean the theater as it released. I asked a couple of folks how it was, and everyone that had just even walked past me stopped in the hallway to talk about how much they loved the movie. Multiple people stopped in the theater and kept talking to us before we could even clean the theater, talking about how much the movie meant to them. And it, it it's just been so cool to see the world's reactions to various movies versus the internet's reactions to various movies. I think that the number one way to know if a movie is going to be for you is to see it for yourself. And Mm. so I thought it might be kind of fun from just the perspective of working in a theater to show some love for the movie that got more people consistently excited to talk about the movie that they just saw than even Barbie than Godzilla. I wasn't working during Spider-Man's run, so I can't speak on that, unfortunately. But so many movies that came out this year, none of them, none of them surpassed the talk that I've heard for Holdovers. So I was so bummed. It's like there's Boy and the Heron and there's Holdovers. Those are the two movies, aside from Asteroid City, that 
I was feeling bad recording this episode without having seen because we talked about 30 movies each and there's mm-hmm. still so many movies that came and out. I, you know? There's still so many. I saw eight more than you, but there's people who saw hundreds of movies this year. One of my managers has seen damn near every movie that's come out this year, it seems. Wow. There's so much to take in. So if your favorite movie of the year wasn't in these top 30, if you know you had a different number one than us, if you thought our favorite movies were your least favorite movies and your favorite movies were our least favorite movies, I don't care. I love that you saw movies and you enjoyed them. And that's what I was excited about this podcast for is because I know you saw stuff I didn't see and vice versa. And no matter what, I don't care if I don't have any intention of watching Mission Impossible. It brings me joy to hear you talk about your love for Mission Impossible. So hopefully the general consensus is there's enough heart for everyone else in this. Well said. So that concludes our Best Movies of 2023 review. Make sure to check out our other Best of 2023 wrap-up episodes, including our Best Comics of 2023, the Talkies Awards, where we properly talked about our absolute favourites of the year, different awards that we gave to certain comics and series and creators, which was a lot of fun. And then make sure to check out our Best TV Shows of 2023 episode, which, depending on when you're listening to this, it will either already be out or you'll have to wait a week for it to come out but either way i hope you enjoy unfortunately that's all we've got time for on this episode i want to thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed the episode please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening i would really appreciate it if you want to keep up to date on new episodes please subscribe and if you have any questions comments or suggestions you can email the show at joetalkscomics.gmail.com additionally if you need any back issues, ratio variants, core variants, or just anything in general cool stuff to do with comics, you can check out the website for Beaders Thingy Jackets, the comic book store in Fort Collins, Colorado, and most of these comics worked at. And use Joe Loves Comics at checkout to get 15% off. I don't get any money for that, it's just a cool thing for you to use if you want to yeah, check out their site and if you see anything that you like. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Joe Talks Comics. And finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joe Loves Comics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye.